My name is Daniel O'Flanner and a Hanahan McJingleheimer Bungus Turby Quisp. The third. I am a context robot. I provide context for areas where that context would be helpful, but is not entirely clear. I have been tasked with providing some context for you for this particular episode of the podcast which our friends Tyler and Jay have not clued you in on beforehand. Today's guest is the inimitable Scott Durbin, who is one of the members of the band The Imagination Movers. The Imagination Movers are composed of Mover Rich, Mover Dave, Mover Smitty, and today's guest, Mover Scott. They have released 10 albums since 2002, the most recent being the album 10-4, in 2018. They also starred in their own eponymous Emmy-winning television show, which aired for three seasons on Disney Junior starting in 2008 and was seen in 55 countries worldwide. The premise of the show involved the movers working out of the idea warehouse, where customers would come to have the movers solve their problems. The movers would work together to brainstorm and solve the problem. The path to the solution always involved failed ideas. However the failed ideas were never seen as failures, but rather part of the process of solving the problem. They were often joined by their neighbor Nina and her uncle Nitnots, who prized boring things over all else, as well as Warehouse Mouse, a puppet mouse who lived in the warehouse. The show recently began re-airing on the streaming service Disney Plus, to great acclaim. But perhaps you already knew all of that. Now you know, and knowing is half the battle. This has been your context robot, Daniel O'Fadder and Hannah and Mick Jingleheimer Bungus Turvey Quisp, the third. Thank you for your time. I'll see you again the next time the pastors forget to give you important contextual information before an episode begins. Please enjoy the episode. We hope that you will find our presentation precise, bass-heavy, and just right. Thanks. Hi, Jay. Hey, Tyler. How are you doing today? I am just loving being quarantined with my family for another week <laughs> but I, that really didn't that sounded the opposite of what those words actually mean yeah yeah i yeah. feel well, like uh you know that that we have watched so much disney junior television shows that sooner or later oh. they're just going to introduce themselves into other avenues of my life well it's um, funny that you should say that because i have a smile on my face because one of my favorite people in the world is here uh someone named mr scott durbin who your kids would probably know oh as mover scott Oh, we know Mover Scott. Mover oh my Scott. goodness! Well, uh, D- Disney Plus has infected this podcast, and it is we have a crossover episode with uh, Mr. Scott Durbin. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing fantastic. Thank you guys oh. for uh, allowing me to be a part of this experience. It was. It took some. We had to. We had to make sure that it was okay. We'd like check with the lawyers to make sure. That <laughs> That's <okay>. right. <laughs> They're probably listening right. now. Just so uh, Scott, we'll we'll talk to Scott. We'll kind of introduce Scott a little bit more. But uh, Scott Durbin is fantastic. Person. Lives in uh, Lafayette. That's correct. Lafayette, uh, New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, Lafayette, Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. They didn't. They didn't change the name of the state to no. just be that one city. Okay. We, we, we you know, we've we've uh, we've tried to get them to do so, but we're still we're still third or fourth fiddle. So, well, I have a question for both of you uh, related to the quarantine. So I found. So we've been in uh, quarantine. I think like March 13th, 15th, something. 15th was the first Sunday that we didn't meet. So I'm kind of measuring it from that. We, yeah. we tried to go to a concert that Friday and it was canceled. So that was actually the first, we were going to go to a Caroline Rose concert, which I highly recommend Caroline Rose. Listen to Caroline Rose. We were at the door and they said, it's canceled. Oh, it was terrible. And that's what, and door. life changed from that moment. Yeah. And they were like inside, like broken, like the band was there and they were like, had sound checked and then they got canceled. Anyway. Uh, so my question about that is what... 
If you had to pick one or a couple pieces of art, so either a movie, a television show, an album that you feel has come to represent the quarantine for you, what would it be? And I will go first because I feel like that's a that's a that's a deeper question that you may want a little bit of time with. One thing uh, that has come to represent it for me uh, is the show The Leftovers. Mm. I think I mentioned it real briefly. We because be, right when we got into the corner, and it feels weird because this was like a month ago that we watched. We watched the my wife and I watched the entire run of The Leftovers. This is a show on HBO. Uh, we'd never seen it before. And it is made by Damon Lindelof, um, who did Lost. And so it has a very Lost feel to it. There's only three seasons of it. Each season, I think, is... The first two are, are ten episodes long. The last one is three, uh, eight episode. And the whole premise of the show is 2% of the world's population disappears. And then <laughs> it just deals with how everybody deals with that. And so it's a really, uh, and it, uh, especially as people were talking about the coronavirus and stuff, and that there's, there's a chance we could lose 2% of the world's population. That became a very interesting show. And That's the whole show basically is a rumination on grief and forgiveness, both kind of personal forgiveness and uh, mourning and stuff like that. And it's a real bummer of a show, <laughs> but it also is uh, really, really interesting. And it goes some real weird places. And the second after the first season, it's based on a book. The first season basically does the whole book. And then the second season takes a huge turn and goes in a very different place, but it's consistent with it. But it's very, very interesting. I, so I highly recommend The Leftovers. It's on HBO Go. You can watch the whole thing if you have access to that. And it's worth a, if you don't have HBO Go, it's worth a like free preview. I think you can get it for a week, but you can watch this whole thing in a week. <laughs> uh, lots of swearing and, and uh and nudity so be aware of that fantastic it's not a a, yeah don't watch it in the middle of the day but uh (laughs) it's a it's a very intriguing show that at the end of every show you're like oh i guess we'll stay up and watch one more because it's really really intriguing so that's been it's been a very leftovers quarantine for for us and there is hope in it too that it's just a it's a dark kind of show it's a just it's like the episodes of lost that are kind of the most emotionally gut-wrenching but for an entire series yeah I mean, I, uh, my two, I'm going to sound like I'm kissing up, but I'm not. Uh, <laughs> we, we just got turned on to the Imagination Movers uh-huh. show right when quarantine started, and my kids freaking love it, uh, as do I. And, and so. It hit, when did it, when did, when did it actually start? No, when did it, when did it hit Disney Plus? Oh, um, was it March? Yeah. March? Yeah. So that was, I mean, it was perfect for quarantine. Yeah, it was, it was the last yeah. day of February, like the 28th and then the beginning yeah. of March. Uh, memory serves correct. I should know that. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, for you, I mean, you were you. In terms of your daily life, you didn't. It didn't change for kind of production and stuff. No, no. But yeah. yeah. So I think for, probably for many families, just, uh, Imagination Movers has become the quarantine uh, show du jour. I hope so. I really hope yeah. so. It's such a good show. Yeah. It's it's it really lovely. Um, so yeah, that's been playing in our house nonstop. Uh, when I get a minute to drive around, I've fallen back in love with a band that I was real into in high school, and they've done a lot of stuff since, and I've not. Smash Mouth? No, it's not Smash Mouth. Okay. Thank you for asking. Uh, it's a little band called Guster. I don't know how many people oh, know Guster. Oh, yeah. Um, but like, I, I, I don't know how. They came up on Shuffle at some point, and I was like, oh, yeah, I remember them. And I've been like re-touring through their catalog. And some of their new stuff's okay. It's not quite as good as the stuff I remember from high school, but... Uh, they've been pretty pretty consistent listening. So there's 
there's your stereo choices of music in the Friar household, lady. It's either Imagination Movers <laughs> or Guster. Uh, There's a lot of crossover in this, too. Yeah. Just you could see the great connection. pop songs. Yeah, yeah. great pop songs. Yeah. Great melodies. Guster's one of those bands that if you... They have a good catalog, but they're like the Shins or something like that, that if you aren't... If you, if you don't try to listen to them, they're not just going to pop up no. places. No. Like, they're just... They're, they're big enough that you can get them... You can access them pretty quickly, but they're indie enough like the decemberists or something like that that they're not just going to be played on the radio we um i think for my family one of the big things is we've been watching scrubs so we rewatch oh, yes scrubs. and uh and so my kids are like addicted to the podcast uh the zach braff uh yeah. donald face yeah. they're doing uh and then we watch it and i think part of it is like you know i think it was maybe the third episode for season one which is my old lady uh where they basically chronicle like three cases and all of them in awful you know mm-hmm. with the idea that mm-hmm. that one in every three you are two and two in every three are good or turn out okay uh, and in this case it goes against um what their expectations is and and i think that showing in it ended up itself for me in the in the in the um in this kind of quarantine existence is super representative of the good with the bad you know yeah. and just kind of like the humor um especially in an environment like a hospital uh, and my dad was a uh, a chaplain at a hospital, uh, was a Methodist minister who was a chaplain, was appointed as a chaplain for a hospital. So I can only imp- I can only assume the kind of stress levels, especially being a pastor, because you're called in into situations that are like probably the worst uh, to give some kind of hope and uh, and uh, and reminding uh, of, of an ultimate reality that's that's gracious and loving. Um, and so I think that show, for some weird reason, has really kind of resonated with my family. Again, this is the second time we've watched it, but it's it's really kind of those, all those kind of emotions and ideas of 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 uh, being in an environment that's not a positive one, where death and dying happen, and yet finding ways of humor, you know, finding humor and and kind of even fantasy, you know, that seems to be the. Uh, the show that has been uh, rep- really representative of this whole experience for me and my family, at least. Is it on something, or do you, are you having to watch DVD? It's on Hulu. Oh, is it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. It hadn't been on stuff because I I kept getting a Jones for it, and then it wasn't on anything. And I was like, I got to dig out my DVDs for it. It's so good. It's so good. Had your your kids had seen the full run? What? No, we've and seen you- everything, even like the, the the bad seasons, like the last few. You yeah. know, sort of like what community happened with their last season, but. Um, it's interesting because, you know, having had the experience of being on the television side, you kind of see that on season three, their budget was enormous. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there was a huge <laughs> increase in budgets because like the songs that they had gotten for whoever the music supervisor was were so much better. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a lot more kind of, um, uh, you know, vignettes that were like high production value. So it was interesting to kind of see that and, and really understand, oh, wow, they got an influx of cash <laughs> yep, yep. for their show. I always, uh, that first season, I, I forget how many of the great episodes are in that first season. Like, I keep thinking, oh, this is like in season four. It's like, nope, this is like yeah. the eighth episode. Like, the my overkill. That, yeah. to me, is like kind of the quintessential where uh, you have Colin Hay from uh, Men at Work is singing throughout the episode. And it's such a great episode. But that's, I mean, it literally, I think, is like the December episode of their first yeah, season. Yeah, I mean, they started off strong. Yeah, they really did. You can also tell how much Zach Braff just kind of 
use the music supervisor for Scrubs to populate the soundtrack for Garden State. Yes, oh, totally. Exactly. <laughs> uh, In fact, uh, like, you know, wow, this- I'll, I'll actually pull something out. Um, the Garden State movie, um, there's a scene or at least a, a promotional photo where Zach Braff is standing against a wall and his shirt matches the yep. the wall uh, yep. wallpaper. And that was uh, inspiration for really knit knots, that idea of beige on oh, beige. Nice. And so that, you know, because a lot of times, you know, when we were cre- really kind of constructing the visuals, we would be pulling from pop culture. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that particular stood out that kind of like, almost like fading into the wall yeah. uh, as being really representative of knit knots in his character in the show. Oh I'm man, that's great. Small. <laughs> have you watched, have you watched Garden State recently? No, we, so in my family right now, what we do is we try every other night, one of the members of the family picks a movie for everybody to watch. Uh, and, and so that one's on my daughter's coming up list because she's such mm. a fan of the podcast and scrubs yeah, yeah. that we've been watching. So I've seen it a, a long time ago. It's been a while since I've seen it, but that's on our, our, uh, our, uh, our coming soon, uh, movies when, when it's her turn. Yeah. It's a great movie that I, uh, having loved it when I was, however, I mean, when I, maybe 2008, so I was like almost 30. Uh, I loved it. And then we watched it again a couple years ago. I was like, ooh, I don't know this holds up quite as well as I <laughs> But I think I think it's great for um like I think your if your daughter hasn't seen it, I think she will love it. I think it's great for a kind of that uh, extended adolescence like yeah. between the age of 13 and 29. Like it's just it's a there's a lot of great stuff in there, but you can also tell, oh, this there's a reason why Zach Braff has only made two movies. Yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> But it, I mean, it, it does. Uh, it's a fun movie. It's just you kind of can see it's it's a little clunkier than I thought it was. Um, going into it, I, I think uh, for me musically, it's so weird. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm a, a, a big Judah and the Lion fan. So mm. I, I listen to their music all the time. But I think as a as a family collective, uh, Harry Styles' new album has been oh, a big yeah. hit in the home, and so. Uh, you know, my wife and daughter had actually bought tickets to go see him in Houston. Uh, and there's a third ticket that um, initially was going to be for my daughter's friend. But then mm-hmm. I was like, you know, I kind of want to go. And this is, you know, uh, now that I'm, I'm much more familiar with his new album. But uh, so that's that's a that's a, you know, one of those uh, guilty pleasures, I, uh, I would say, is listening to his album. He has a really good yeah. song, Falling, which is. Uh, uh, kind of a cool song has some really good lyrics but uh, but Judah and the Lion if if anything else it's that it kind of gives me uh, a little smile yeah Judah and the Lion we're big fans of Judah and the Lion uh, which is and it played a big role in the naming of Earth and so yeah, so, yeah. alright well uh, I'm Tyler I'm Jay and I'm Scott and this, this is Roughing the Passer, the Passer. So we are here with our wonderful friend Scott Durbin, uh, and 
we I have done the better job of actually keeping track of our of our rapid fire questions. So, uh, and I even let Scott know some some of the questions ahead of time, so he's ready for it. So, Ooh, uh, let's. That's go a these. that's a that's a gift we don't often give. I guests know. On I know. The show. We were that's... affording so many. So I am thankful. <laughs> Uh, so Scott, do you know your Enneagram? Okay, so I didn't before. <laughs> hey, but uh, based on uh, your uh, your seed that you dropped, I found out that I am a number three. Oh, all right. Well, well. Now, what when you found out about that? What does that mean to you? Um, I think part of it, it you know, obviously, um, for me, it, if people are not familiar with uh, the three, is the achiever. It made sense when I did the the test that the achiever was there because I always have felt a need to overachieve. That's what we found. I, I think when, uh, for the most part, because with any of these tests, when you're like, Oh, well, I guess this is who I am. Like if it tells you who you are and that doesn't make sense, then the test isn't working. Yeah. Like, it should just be, it shouldn't define you. It should be like looking in a mirror. Yeah. And that's what like, we are both nines. And when, when I read the nine, I was like, Oh, of course. Yeah. That makes sense. Oh man, when I read the nine, I was like, "Ooh, that sucks." Yeah, <laughs> it's totally you feel seen me. in all the good ways and the bad ways. Yeah. So totally it's it's accurate. nice that there, yeah, that there's the positives of it, but also the negatives is like, yeah, I guess that it, that is me. Yeah, I know. Uh, being a Libra, nine was like the peacemaker. Was like, hey, you know that making sure everybody's happy. No, yeah, it's a lot of balls to juggle. It is the hard thing about it though is that when. Uh, and I mean, I think Jay, you could probably uh, back this up is that being the peacemaker also means that you avoid confrontation. Like you try to stop confrontation, but then when you can't, you avoid confrontation. And so you can, you see all the sides, all the perspectives, which also means you're just like, I don't know that we always say the best way to define a nine is if you ask a nine where they want to go for dinner, the answer is always wherever you want to (laughs) go. It's not that we don't have an opinion. It's just like, it's probably, uh, whatever you choose is probably the least confrontational way to deal with this. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the, the, the whole notion of balancing it, yeah. in and of itself exerts a lot of energy. I mean, yeah, you're not going really in one does. direction. You know, you're, you're basically uh, neutering two directions, which I think mm-hmm. is probably uh, definitely uh, exerting a lot more energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Okay, Myers-Briggs. Do you know your Myers-Briggs? Uh, my, my Myers-Briggs, I think it was ENTP. Do you know what that means? Uh, I'd have to go look it up. Because <laughs> I don't know what that means. I took a, I, one of my graduate classes. We had to take it. And I was looking it up. I was like, oh, okay. So that's what I scored back when I was doing this. Yeah. Um, so I'd have to go look for it. And that one's a little less reflexive. So we just it's one of those things that as pastors, we have to take that test as well. And so we know what we are. But we don't uh, care. We've, yeah. We, and we found that uh, we had a, a friend of ours. We did an episode, actually, on the Enneagram only because we have a friend who is like a super genius. Oh, wow. And we keep talking about it. And so that episode was actually really helpful for me because we learned so much about this thing that we talk about that we don't know. <laughs> and he, he also talked about the Myers-Briggs and how the Myers-Briggs is less. It's more rigid. So it's actually less helpful. OK. Um, and more kind of diagnostic than the, the Enneagram is. Uh, what's your Hogwarts house? Uh, probably Gryffindor. Okay, you haven't taken the test. No, no, I haven't. <laughs> what did you, what did you guys score, or what what was your house choice? Uh, so uh, Jay, what are you? I'm Hufflepuff, man. Yeah, which I yeah. which means absolutely nothing to me. <laughs> I don't know at all what that signifies about my personality, it is, but it is a kids' book. So I mean, that's, yeah. <laughs> none of this is really all that. I've watched the it. movies, I've read the books, but like, eh. my yeah. wife's gonna punch me. My wife's a librarian, so she's gonna yeah, okay. punch me when she hears this later, but. 
I have real hard opinions on it. Uh, oh, wow. Like more than I should. Yeah. <laughs> I really identify as a Ravenclaw. Okay. Uh, but I have tested three times as a Gryffindor. Yeah, right. uh, not that there's anything wrong with being a Gryffindor. I think it's just, when it comes down to it, I think it's just that the main characters are Gryffindor and I kind of want the indie part of me. Yes. That I <laughs> like, of course, everybody wants to be Gryffindor. Like, if you go to Universal, the Gryffindor shirts are going to sell higher than anything else. It's like, I want to be Ravenclaw. I appreciate that Ravenclaw. You, you, you didn't like it enough to take it not once, not twice, but three times, three times. to try and, and, and undo. And I'll take it another time if I can because I keep trying to figure out, like, where's the... I'm going to break this test. Where's the point? Because it's not that scientific. It's like eight questions. So yeah. there has to be a point in there. But every time the test is sufficient enough that it, it won't let me not be in that box. Oh. It knows. Um, yeah, I'm a Gryffindor. Uh, so what concert would you travel back in time to see if you could go? So you're just going back for the concert. So um, we. <laughs> so I, probably a Jars of Clay show we saw Ooh, at yeah. uh, House of Blues. Uh, my wife... Uh, probably midway through the concert, um, was uh, fainted. What what era was this? This was uh, I mean, they. Gosh, I want to say early nineties. I mean, it was early. Okay. Like uh, Matchbox Twenty opened up for them on this okay. tour. So this is like post post peak with Flood, but still. That's right. Matchbox so, Twenty is opening up for them. Exactly. Right? And your wife fainted. Fainted. So then, she uh... fainted midway. Uh, midway, I, it was like you know, because it was it was a real small venue, lots of people, overheated, and she fainted. But the thing, is, yeah. sometimes like when you're dealing with faint, it looks like you're drunk, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sure everybody there thought she was loaded, and so I'm yeah. trying here. I'm trying to escort her out uh, to get her some air. Um, but that was one that I think I, we saw half the show. Yeah. Ooh. So you want to go back just to see the rest of the show? See the whole 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 show. <laughs> that would have been good. I like that was that. Matchbox that's Twenty a good one. as an opener. That's an interesting. That's an interesting world where Matchbox Twenty was opening for. You're right. For, uh, <laughs> Clay. Yeah. It's uh. So they opened up, and then um, maybe three months later, they came and did a single show. Uh, mm-hmm. But they came during Tulane's final exam period, so nobody was at the show. I think my wife and I went yeah. and saw them because I was like, when I first heard them open, I was like, this band's gonna blow up, and and yeah. I have a really good. Um, uh, like I could be a good A and R person because I have a real good mm-hmm. idea of things that 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 really will pop. Uh, and mm-hmm. so we went back and saw them, and there must have been like less than twenty people at that second show. So I got to meet oh, the guys and just you know kind of. Um, my wife, I know I irritate her because I love to hang out with bands, and uh, I'm you know kind of a um, you know I could see like where individuals like come and talk to us, meet and greet with us, and. Yeah. Uh, and enjoy that experience. I'm the same way with other bands, you know. I mean, I love yeah. Royal Teeth, and you know, I I can kind of like, you know, be a fanboy of them and uh, and bands like that. So I definitely love that kind of experience. So, hmm. so it was kind of cool to have that with Matchbox Twenty at the time when they weren't big. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. Okay, what's your what's your favorite superhero? A uh, Daredevil. Ooh, fascinating. That's a good one. I like it. So why Daredevil? Uh, well, I think there's, for me, it's because he has a faith component. And so that yeah. was a, a relatable thing for me to see in a superhero that he had a faith and he, you know, that played a part in his whole kind of uh, psyche. Uh, and so that, 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 was, that always resonated with me. And then uh, when I, you know, back in the day when I would collect comic books, um, the, he had Bullseye as his nemesis. And Bullseye was mm. super cool, you know, that he could throw these mm-hmm. playing cards and... 
So that kind of, those two characters really stood out for me. So I, I love Daredevil. Um, uh, you know, I mean, I love the Marvel Universe. I mean, I really enjoy the whole thing. But Daredevil is, is probably the one that I, I appreciate the most. Did you, uh, did you watch the series? Yes, totally. And I thought the first season was incredible. Uh, I thought the second season sort of like kind of got away from his faith in essence, you know, or him, that, that part of his personality and that dialogue, which I appreciated in the first season. I thought the second Mm -hmm. season sort of like went in a different direction, which I would have liked to have seen that more because I thought that added a nice element that a lot of people could relate to, whether it be faith and doubt and all of those things. Uh, And then how to be a superhero and have that role of faith play a part of that experience I thought was uh, intriguing. I really liked the, the choice to go as deep as they did before he becomes Daredevil, like before you really see anything. Yeah. I thought that was really neat. Uh, Yeah. So, so better or worse than the Ben Affleck movie? (laughs) (laughs) Much better, much better. I was going to ask if you, as a fan of bullseye, on a scale, like how could you possibly describe your disappointment with, uh, what's his name? Colin, uh, Colin, Colin, yeah, Colin Farrell. It was, it was tough. It was tough to watch, you know, (laughs) Because, yeah, you, you grew up sort of like thinking this is one of the cooler villains. And then, you know, to have the scar on the head, you know, I mean, I, I was I always saw him in the in the suit, you know, and but um, yeah. yeah, that was an era of just making terrible comic book movies, too. Yeah, that's what, like, who like, knew like, who knew there were going to be this explosion, you know, uh, given yeah. a lot of the stuff that we had to sort of uh, kind of crawl through. Yeah. Well, and it, 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 it's weird to think back of an era when it was just like, oh, it's just impossible to make good comic book movies. <laughs> like they did it with Batman and kind of Superman, and then that's it. Like yep. there'll just never be another good comic book movie. And then Spider-Man came out, which even now you watch the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, they seem so quaint. Yeah. Like they're so... They're super campy. They were campy. great. Yeah, they're right. super campy. And, yeah. Um, and like you go back to Tim Burton's Batman, it's so different than everything now, but it still kind of holds up as like, I can see why people were blown away by this. But the... The Sam Raimi Spider-Mans are still good, but they're not quite... You wonder, like, how did this make a billion dollars? Yeah, like, you're right. <laughs> right. We didn't have anything else going on at the time, you know. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, what is your... Who's your favorite Beatle? I, I would probably say Paul McCartney. Uh, I, I, I think I, I dig him. I, I think he's a, he's a bit more accessible than, you know, if you mm-hmm. start looking at kind of like him and Lennon and, and, the, and the songs that they shepherded. Um, and I know Lennon was really instrumental in that, the early stuff, uh, mm-hmm. but I think uh, you know Sergeant Pepper's and Rubber Soul. I think McCartney had a lot more uh, hand in the development of those songs. So I like McCartney's stuff simply because it's more accessible and it tends to be a little bit more positive, <laughs> which I always <laughs> yeah, it really does. You know, <laughs> do you have a favorite Beatles song? Uh, you know, I uh, Day in the Life. Which is a nice yeah. a nice collaboration of both of them. I mean, there are songs yeah. like Eleanor Rigby. Anything that really kind of gives these nice, specific details that you can imagine yeah. the stories behind them. Uh, those are the ones that I tend to favor. Um, even Blackbird is such a good song. You know, there's so, there's oh, so wow. many. There really are. Do you have a Do you have a uh, extension on that? Do, what, do you have a go to Beatles album where like the whole album is you put it on you can't stop it. Uh, maybe the White Album, I think, possibly. Yeah. I, I just realized the other day, a couple of weeks ago was the anniversary of Abbey Road. And it made me realize when Abbey Road was released and the Beatles were broken up, Paul McCartney, all of them, uh, um, 
um, John was, I think, 28. And Ringo was 30. And Paul and George were 27. And so That's I just went online and looked at who's 27 right now. Who, so as of right now, who is 27? Uh, Nick Jonas, Miley Cyrus, um, and who else? Uh, um, all the Disney people. So like, um, uh, what's her name? The... Uh, the the like camp rock people like that all the jonas yeah era the demi lovato's and... so, yeah demi lovato so thinking of everything that the beatles did everything that the beatles did they did before the age of miley cyrus today that's and that's insane. how old they were yeah scott you just got to see this little this little behind the scenes bit of the podcast where Tyler has this like IMDB database in his brain, but every now and again it freezes. And it's like, yeah, it's like the pinwheel on a Mac. Yeah. It just can't keep up for a little bit. It's fun to watch. (laughs) Okay. uh, Who's your favorite Saturday night live cast member? Saturday night live cast member is, uh, I think probably Will Ferrell. You know, I totally channeled him in, uh, the Cinderella episode where I got to be the Mm. king. And, uh, so much fun. Uh, I think, uh, you know, part of like, it, it was interesting because as a character on the movers, uh, early on, you know, we were having conversations and I was, uh, I was always the Peter Pan one, you know, which was a, a very nice way of saying kind of the dumb one. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was the naive one. Uh, and so it was it, at one point in time, I actually had this internal dialogue of like, you know, I don't know if I want that. I don't want my kids to say, oh, hey, your dad's on this TV show and he's kind of dumb, you know, mm-hmm. or he's like, you know, whatever. And so it was like a little internal struggle of like, hey, what, what kind of legacy do I want to have uh, as far as my character on this particular show? And I know that sounds silly, uh, but no, uh, in doing so, I was like, you know what? Uh, when we started doing the pilot and started doing episodes, I was just like, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go all in. I'm going all in with this character and I'm just going to dedicate myself to being the best kind of childlike kid, man, man child that I can. And I think part of like, you know, going back to, to Will Ferrell, I think he goes all in, in those characters that he develops. Yeah. And uh, I think it was one of those things that you kind of like realize it's like, Hey, I got to I just go for it. You know, and if, if I'm yeah. going to do this, let me do it excellent, you know, let me, let me, let me be excellent with it. And so it was interesting. It was a little dialogue, you know, prior to, to the whole, whole evolution of, of that character uh, on the show uh, of like, hey, do I want to be that guy? But, you know, I, yeah. fortunately, I, I got a lot of like stuff written for me uh, because of it. You know, I dedicated myself to being silly and childlike. And, uh, and I think the writers could like write something and I could make it happen um, mm-hmm. when it came to filming. So... That's a tricky character too, because you don't want to go that you're like making fun of people. No, uh, and and I never it never does. But mm-hmm. I remember thinking the first time we saw the show, we were like sleep deprived with a uh, like ten month old and just like randomly scrolling through both Nick Junior and Disney Junior. Was like, here's this show. Oh man, I know what's going on. Like, <laughs> like thinking of like this guy's the dumb one. This guy is the sports guy. This guy knows everything. This guy's the robot, like control. Like I get it. And then we watched the like. So the first like three minutes of movers for me were very cynical because I'm tired <laughs> and thinking like this is dumb. And then the songs were so great. And then I was like, oh wait, no, he's not a dumb one. He's like a kind of innocent guy. Like he he is curious yep. and unafraid. Like kind of unaware. Very right. probably a the, like uh, the, the, which almost the beautiful. Occam's Razor type guy, you know, like yeah. the simplest yeah, yeah, yeah. way is going to be the best solution, even if it seems, uh, you know, too simple, you know. Yeah. yeah. 
It's yeah, like the Peter Sellers walking on water. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I really appreciate the balance that uh, that you all found in the characterization of, of uh, the four different movers within the show. And especially having gotten to know you guys a little bit, how much you are all those people. Right. Like, it's just a slight tweak on who you are. Like, you're not... You are playing Mover Scott, but you are just basically you playing an innocent version of you. Yes. I mean, I, I think there, you know, I think probably why the show was so successful is because we were sort of thrown to the wolves. You know, we were not mm-hmm. actors. Uh, you know, I was a teacher. Dave was an architect. Rich was a journalist. And Smitty was a firefighter. And we had this great idea. And then when it came to filming it, it's not like we had a coach or anything like that. We just kind of did it. And I think we sort of, you can tell, I, at least I can, those early episodes, how how kind of like um, statuesque we were, you know, like, you know, like these, per, you know, <laughs> perpetuate, perpetual giant smiles and, and very stiff motions. And so like the, the, you know, the Lost Dog episode and even Bucket of Trouble, those are all early episodes. And you can see how kind of stiff we are. We were, and I think second season was like when we sort of kind of really felt great about what we were doing. And the third season was good, but I think we were exhausted, you know, by the third season of filming, we were just physically exhausted. And I think, you know, we would, I think probably the the one thing I regret is like sometimes, you know, we would be filming 14 to 16 hour days and it'd take four days to do an episode. So we were, and, and we're in every scene. So it's not like we had a break. And, you know, and, and we went, when we did have a break, we were running to go to the studio to write songs for the show for future episodes. So we were just running on no, no kind of no fumes. And we were in every scene. And when you're spending an inordinate amount of time as being sort of like the background for a scene, you get to be obnoxious. <laughs> You know, yeah. and unfortunately, yeah. that was a byproduct of being in every scene and being exhausted. And so you could you could watch us in the background just be super obnoxious, you know, like <laughs> looking at one another and smiling and nodding our heads. And just like I look back and I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, it's just awful. <laughs> but I mean, hey, it's where we were. Yeah. Well, we since we've spent I mean, we're we still watch it on, on the regular. Um, and it just be, uh, and so we started to notice all those things like where, um, all this, all this stuff's going on in the background, oh, like, it's terrible. particularly in the, one of our favorite things is in the Halloween episode, the one with, uh, with plumber Pete yes. to the, the second yeah. Halloween episode, Brian Spanik, um, yeah. where, uh, uh, the, during the song dance, like it's Halloween, Dave is just like going crazy. Like there's a point where Dave just like loses any kind of concept of not distracting from what's going on. And he's like, cause he's being a robot. And he, at the end of the song is just basically having a seizure. Yeah. Like, it's hilarious. <laughs> it's, it's, it was, um, season three, it was like one of those things that we were, we were so tired. We would do things like that. And then we, and, and season three was one of the ones where we would do a lot of like, like Smitty would intentionally put, like a duck in the background so yeah, that we knew yeah. it was there so that if you went to the episode, you could see on almost every <laughs> shot, there was a, his wooden decoy duck somewhere in the background. And that was, that was, I mean, that was the good and bad of where we were at that time that we were so, so tired that to entertain ourselves, you know, we were doing these kinds of very subversive things of like, you yeah. know, uh, it it doesn't distract from the show. No, it does. We never like did it, that. You know, we, we yeah. were, we've always been, been very, you know, we never took that took it for granted what, what we were being able to do. But I think for entertaining ourselves' sake, 
we would do things like, you know, the hidden duck. It was always the hidden duck. That's that's and, fascinating. I can't wait to go back now because, again, we watch it on loop. So I'm, I'm going duck hunting. The, the other thing we would do is we would constantly inject into the show uh, pop culture references. Yeah. Often song lyrics. These were never written into the show, mind you. These were things that we did on the day. Uh, and, you know, the, 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 the good and bad is like, you know, because we were co-executive producers, so we wrote copious amounts of notes for the show. And if mm-hmm. we had a joke that was really funny that, that didn't get in, uh, we would hold it kind of like in our pocket. And when we would film, they would do the single, they would do the wide, you know, they might do a double. And the, the one, and you would have some, some levity, you, you would have some leeway in, in how you did your line. And we would do something like where we'd do a great performance with the line we wanted in, whether it be like Come Sail Away or, you know, She's a Beauty, which we were referencing the tubes or uh, sticks <laughs> in the pirate episode. Um, that we would do on the day to have it happen, you know, to be in the edited cut. Um, and then the one that might have been written, I know the writers would probably hate us for this, but you would kind of like give a, a flat delivery. Yeah, you know, yeah. terrible. <laughs> but I think for us, it was like part of, and, and the writers were smart too. I mean, they were great writers. Scott Gray in particular was an awesome writer for the show. Um, they knew what kind of show it was, and they and they definitely built in a lot of great things. I think the one thing that the writers did that was taken out was the episode where we were moving out of the warehouse. Mm. Uh, you know, there was like a, a, a city employee that came, and that we were closing down the warehouse. Yeah, who's basically Donald Trump, which is crazy. That's right. And she came yeah. in the briefcase, and in the briefcase, I look through my wobble goggles, and I see red tape and beans in a jar. Which was like a bean counter and, and the and the you know bureaucratic red tape. Yeah, yeah. That was so wonder. I mean, it was like this. That's so smart, <laughs> you know. Uh, and he wrote that in. And uh, but it, of course, I don't know if it made it into the final episode. I'm pr- I'm pretty sure Disney nixed it when they saw the bean counting, you know, yeah. um, jar. The the one that really got us was the uh, the Groundhog Day reference. That was <laughs> the point where because it's when he's listening to the, it's the Snow Day one or Snow Day in one. Yep. Uh, uh, which is always one that I kind of recommend. Like if you're going to start with one, start with that one. Cause it, one. like it's season two, they kind of got, they got their, 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 their flow. The music in them is amazing. And just, it starts off with this reference that it, you either get it right away or you have no idea. Cause it's, he's talking, to, he's listening to radio and the, uh, yes, he says, well, it's cool. Yeah. It's cold out there today. And the radio says it's cold out there every day. And uh, like, that's just from groundhog day. Mm-hmm. And I, that's when Adrian and I kind of looked at each other like, Oh, we can actually watch this yeah. show. This isn't yeah. like distraction. Like this, we're into it, and seeing some of those those references was was really great. We also uh, we we find it fun to to notice um, Smitty acting with his hands because it's, it's it's always like the the kind of Ricky Bobby Talladega Nights where it's like I don't know what to do with my hands. Like, you see, Smitty's like, yeah, he should be here right now. What's going on? His <laughs> hands always work his way into the frame, and it's, uh, half of his acting is is in his hands. It's like the Jack from uh, Thirty Rock with holding the coffee cups. You know, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I need more coffee. Yeah, it's like, uh, <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> Okay, uh, what, uh, boo, 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 boo. do you have a go-to character in Smash Bros. or Mario Kart? I got, I, 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 I generally, uh, uh, gravitate towards Yoshi. Ooh. It's a solid acceleration choice. acceleration on Yoshi, yeah. Yoshi is, uh, when I was, uh, uh, Yoshi goes back, uh, 
before the movers, I was in a band called the Friendly Guys, mm. and uh, and hey, we had a hey. song about Yoshi, <laughs> and so <laughs> uh, so Yoshi has always uh, had a little uh, soft spot in my heart. Yeah, Yoshi's a great character. He's one of the more, especially in '64 in Mario Kart '64. The computer cheats with Yoshi. <laughs> like that's what, like whenever you're playing the Grand Prix, Yoshi just suddenly is in front of everybody. Yoshi and Peach always so I'd always get so angry at Yoshi and Peach, which I didn't. I also loved Yoshi, and so it made me feel so bad to be mad at Yoshi. But <laughs> man, the computer cheats with Yoshi. Uh, what's what's a band that you inherited from your parents? Like something that they appreciated that you so may not have chosen. On my your my father was a huge uh, connoisseur of Western swing. Mm. And so, like, Bob Wills, Ernest Tubb, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. And he actually had a, an amazing and, um, and valuable reel-to-reel collection. Hey. Uh, and so, you know, back in the day, you, if, if uh, for example, if like, Ernest Tubb was uh, at a festival in Arkansas or something like that, uh, and somebody recorded it, it was on reel-to-reel. And mm-hmm. so they would have these kind of um, network of people who had reel-to-reels who would ch- exchange reel-to-reels and things like that. So he had a reel-to-reel of um, Elvis at the Louisiana Hayride uh, and just all these really, really hard-to-find recordings as well as a huge library of vinyl. Uh, Were they Western from Street. the soundboard? Like yes, how good they are, w- whichever way they recorded. You know, the early yeah. recording... Um, because uh, that's too early for like bootlegging. Yes, like, yes, th- yeah. And so he had this that he had actually willed to a university uh, mm-hmm. because it was like I mean like that's amazing like yeah, versions yeah. of of songs that like maybe were done live but not recorded yet. And yeah. so they had a live recording before the actual you know vinyl recording. Man, uh, and it all got destroyed in Katrina. Oh no! Yes. It was and they like didn't a, make copies of it. Like they no, didn't, I mean it was oh. in it was in his home. Everything was in his home. Uh, oh, no. and oh, he it, it was still in was, his possession. Yeah, yeah, and it still in his possession. Oh. And then Katrina yeah. just destroyed the home, and so all of that was lost. Oh man! But any but but I, I I received that love of Western swing, and so even if I listen to something like you know certain artists like the Abbott Brothers or. Uh, even Dwight Yoakam, you know, where mm-hmm. I'll hear, hear a little Tex-Mex. And, you know, Dwight brings in a lot of brass in his stuff as well. Mm-hmm. But hearing that brass in that Western swing element is something that I'll just have. It's like, it's like smelling a, a good smell, you know, like yeah. mm-hmm. of your mom making cookies or something like that. Where it's like, if I hear that, it's like conjures up wonderful memories. So, yeah. Western swing. Yeah, that's awesome. That's, that's pretty great. What, uh, what's your favorite Bible story? So, okay, I probably would have to say the, there's uh, the, the squall uh, that comes mm-hmm. over uh, where Jesus is asleep in the stern. Uh, that's probably one that I've always appreciated. Uh, and I think part of it is because I think to a certain degree it's a reverse engineering on the idea of faith in the comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's, easy to ha- it's sort of easy to, to, to find faith or to have faith when things are extreme, but it's like when, when, when everything's going great, uh, and Christ is with you in the boat and you're a fisherman and this is your comfort zone to me for some weird way that, that reflected to me a, a, an idea of how hard it is to have faith when things are going good. You know, it's easy to kind of have faith when, when things are going bad, or at least in my experience. So 
for me, that's always resonated. But for an odd reason, it, it also it, it, it for me, it articulated this idea of faith in the comfort zone uh, and how that in and of itself is a struggle. So, you know, it's, I think sometimes we when everything's going great, we sort of don't we don't allow ourselves to give as much thanks as we should. Yeah. Uh, whereas, you know, if we're not having this or not having that, we grab, oh, I need, you know, then I appeal. Yeah. I, 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 at least in my experience, I think faith in the comfort zone is such a hard thing to have, have yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Well, when we're, when everything's going well, it's such a, a tendency to be like, wow, I really did it. Yeah. Like I, I'm glad I worked so hard for this and I'm glad like yeah. it's when, when things aren't going well, we think, God, please help me. Or God, why have you done this to me? Like that. It's real easy to give ourselves credit when everything is kind of clicking or to dialogue, you know, just the idea of dialoguing with, with, you know, those extremes, those things, when we don't have something or we, we blame or, or whatever, that that is a conduit and that's a communicative device that we don't necessarily have when everything's going great. We sort of kind of just ease through with what we're doing. Uh, so that, that's always resonated with me. Yeah. I love that one. That's great. What is your favorite sport to play? and your favorite sport to watch? So I love baseball, love to play baseball. Uh, I played four years in high school. I played one year in college. Uh, and then you realize just how much time it takes to, <laughs> to devote to being a, a, a collegiate athlete. I mean, it's an amazing amount. I think about, you know, whatever your opinion is about sports, you know, especially college athletes receiving income or not based on their likenesses. It's like they, the idea that you could dedicate that amount of time to your athletic endeavor and still do something academically is really hard. Cause I know, yeah. it, you know, it just, at least for me in my one year of college ball, I was like, Holy cow, this is, uh, you, you, you have to immerse yourself to be excellent at what you want to do as far as baseball is concerned. And then you still have to keep your studies up. So, uh, what, what was your position? I was second base. I was a second oh, base. Nice. I love second base. Cause you get all the action. You man. do, man. You're in everything. <laughs> yeah. You're like, a. You know, I mean, obviously the shortstop's one of the better players on the on the team. You know, yeah. But the second baseman is like that captain. You know, that un yeah. that really kind of uh, uh, is in you know in touch with the outfield. Everybody. Uh, yeah. So I played second base. I think my my biggest uh, uh, fall, or at least my biggest mistake when I played baseball in college was, you know, I played four years of high school, went to college. And there was a senior at second base my freshman year. So, hey, just being logical, what are your, what, what's a smart thing to do? You just wait your year and, yeah. and your sophomore year, you're probably going to inherit that position. Yeah. But at the same time, center field was open. Nobody was in center field. So what do I do? I go and, and, and try to play center field thinking I might start my freshman year in a position that I'm not familiar with nor fast yeah. enough to play you got to be so fast to play center oh field. gosh there's dude. so much so, recovering that was like that was one of those things that you know in hindsight you're like oh why did i even do that you know but you're you're 18 years old and you're making these kind of decisions that are so <laughs> you know with blinders on of like why well, i want to play now and that kind of thing yeah yeah um but playing baseball i love baseball i did a 40 uh a fantasy baseball camp with the red Sox uh, when i turned nice. 40 uh and then um uh, I love football. I mean, I love the Saints. You know, if you're from this area, the Saints are um, kind of a big deal. Yeah, kind of a big deal. They're yeah. more than just a football fa- uh, franchise. I mean, they're they are really they were emblematic of recovery for uh, post Katrina and uh, yeah. and 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 lately they you know they're, 
the the kind of players that they're getting are just super great players as far as just the 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 way they carry themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the bravado of Mike Mike Thomas, uh, you know, is 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 kind of um, balanced with Demario Davis's uh, the way he handles himself. And then Drew Brees, Drew Brees is such a class act, you know, and and kind of the way he carries himself. And so they they have a lot of of, of fun players, but also players that have character and that you can rally, you know, that you can cheer for. Do you think it's Breeze last year? I, I, yeah, I think he's got one, maybe two, but I think, I, I think he's, he's really considering next steps. I can't figure out why. I mean, I'm, I'm not super huge on football, but like he feels like he should be in the Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, you know, conversation and constantly gets left out. He really yeah. does. And I, you know, I don't, I, I'm, I'm kind of, at a loss for what the reason is, you know, he's always been an overachiever, you know, maybe that's why I like him too. Cause he's six foot. He was not, you know, the prototypical six, four, you know, two forty, two fifty quarterback that is, you know, uh, an Adonis, you know, kind of physically speaking, but, uh, but he's, he's been smart. He's been great. I mean, I mean, just the records he's accumulated. Um, yeah, I don't know why he's not in that conversation more often. You know, I think people love kind of the, you know, obviously love T- Tom Brady and love um, um, uh, Rogers from Green Bay. Uh-huh. Uh, but, uh, but you know, I mean, I think Breeze is definitely a, a favorite, you know. You also have um, uh, Zion Williamson. Yeah, totally. Stuff there. Like in terms of like quality people, like yeah. his response to the quarantine and like paying like in his first year. Yeah, ton of money. No, he's got. I think tons of money. But. You know, when you talked about like the Beatles and just like you think about like sometimes how we take for granted young people and just how amazing they can be. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, that he is so young and yet to make some really smart decisions with mm-hmm. with his time and energy. Yeah, and I think I, I mean I think for a lot of the sports heroes in the in New Orleans area, like when they when they uh, embrace the community, the community does so with them. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, you have athletes like Anthony Davis really didn't embrace New Orleans. And so, you know, he left and people probably in New Orleans did not care that, you know, did not shed a tear. Um, but it is one of those, those areas that, you know, like, like Green Bay, where the community is such a part of that franchise that they, they kind of, um, you know, sort of live and die with the, with the sports stars that are in there. Yeah. So to be clear, you you traded the the rigors of athleticism in college to become a musician. That it was, you know, it, I did. I uh, well, actually, you know, uh, the the weird thing was is like when the movers started, I was playing softball all the time. I was like probably on three or four softball teams, and giving up softball for the movers was a big deal, you know, because you know. Here I was in early 30s, late 20s, or really early 30s. When, who am I guessing? You know, kidding. Late 20s. Early 30s, uh, playing ball, keeping myself fit. And then, you know, when the movers came and it became really kind of like, hey, this is a great idea and it's going to work. You know, you sort of have to kind of like make decisions on where you spend your time. And uh, and I stopped playing softball. So that's that's one of the uh, – it was it was difficult. I love team sports. I love being part of a team. Um and just the the physical activity in and of itself is so great. So, yeah. So, do you plan anything now? No, nope, uh, haven't. What's the last movie you watched? A Fight Club last night. I really couldn't. Hey, can't talk about it. I'm not supposed to talk about it. 
That's the rewatch of Fight Club. Yes, rewatch. Okay, yeah. Oh man, that's a great movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, what uh, What is the furthest from your house that you've ever been? I think uh, probably you know I, we had the opportunity to play in Dubai. Oh, uh, the nice. movers did, and so you know I don't know if that if it were miles, but definitely culturally speaking, it was the furthest yeah. thing that I ever had to you know experience, and I loved it. Um, what's the what's the fan base like in Dubai? Like, well, the great thing was you is you know we played uh, at a Sheik's uh, auditorium, okay, and the group that the production company that brought us over basically said that that all the Western acts that they bring over there, the audience are almost entirely expat patriots from the UK or Australia, yeah. Yeah. Um, but we were one of the only acts where the audience was pretty pretty equal among uh, uh, Indians, uh, Filipinos, Americans, from all of the ethnic groups that work in Dubai, um, Saudi Arabia, all of the different places, because the show had been translated in so many different countries. Oh, nice. Uh, and so that was a, a really nice thing to hear. And then also, you know, there's an old Dubai and a new Dubai, and then, you know, we got to go see old Dubai, which I think was probably more like, you know, more kind of eye-opening the new Dubai, which is very, you know, uh, uh, loud in the sense of like, uh, you know, you think of the, 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 um, the architecture that, that, yeah. you know, it's Apple TV screensaver. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. <laughs> that's it. You know? And so, and it's interesting because most things are done in hotels because it's so hot outside. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's it's a it was a weird weird place to be, but it was so I enjoyed being there. I loved you know that experience and having that experience um, culturally crazy. speaking. What did you want to be when you grew up? When you were a kid, I think probably the first job I ever wanted when I was a kid that I actually thought was a occupation was an entomologist, hmm. study or of bugs, and yeah. so and then I realized the biology involved in becoming an, entomo- <laughs> an, an yeah, entomologist. It's all the back, but. Uh, uh, I think that was the first one where I, I, I was like, oh, it'd be great to study bugs. You know, I loved bugs. I still do. Um, what was the, did you have like any particular bug that like drew you in? Uh, well, I mean, um, I, you know, I praying mantis. Yeah. I always, oh, man. <laughs> weird, weirdly enough. Um, you know, I always thought it was fascinating that the, the female bites, you know, eats the head of the yeah. male and, uh, those kinds of things. You're just like, wow, you know, what a weird world that yeah, it, yeah. that offers so much to those who want to investigate you know what is uh what's your favorite smell vapo vix vapo rub oh yeah that's a good oh, one good you know choice. that's like uh i remember being a kid and having that and then so uh it's just that smell that kind of menthol smell yeah. sticks with me makes me like getting clean yeah getting, getting right. healthy yeah uh last one who's your favorite muppet i think grover Oh yeah, that's a good one, Grover. I think what uh, uh, the monster at the end of this book, I think, yep, is uh, where I, I I learned to to love Grover and all that Grover represents and is. So Grover would be my favorite Muppet. That is such a great book too. Yes, like the breaking of the fourth wall in that book. It's so, um, like, uh, they're so it's so complicated for yeah. a kids' book. Yeah, like it and. I, it, that's a book that I do. Um, we have a preschool at our church, and so I do chapel with them once a month. And I'll just go in and, and basically read a read a regular book, and then read a Bible story, and then we'll sing some songs. And that's a go to is the monster at the end of this book. 
mainly because I can do a really good Grover ah. impersonation, which I didn't realize until I started reading that book to my kids. It was like one of those things I just started doing. It was like, hey, that sounds exactly like Grover. Uh, so, so you I, have to do a, it. I was going to say, you can't just toss that out there. Uh, well, I got to, I don't know if I can get rid of it. So uh, uh, I need some of the, the lines. That's the hard thing. I, did I don't want to put you on the spot. It's, yeah, I do. Well, I'm putting him on the spot. <laughs> I, I got I to think of what the line is. Oh, now it's not going to sound good. It's basic. The trick is you got to do somewhere in between Miss Piggy and Yoda. All right. It's all Frank Oz. So <laughs> you don't want to go Fozzie Bear. That's too no. much. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, uh, <clears throat> I don't know if I can do it now. <laughs> I was bragging. It's not going to be that good. Um, hello, everybody. Uh, it's too loud. Not so you know how to do it. <laughs> yes. That's too close to the mic, though. Uh, uh, it is I. You're very lovable old brother. I can't. That's, that's the words. Yeah. That's, that's pretty solid, much. man. That's solid. Okay, so we've gone through the rapid fire. Just went like right through it. Oh, rapid it was fire. Quick. Here, here's my question that I wanted to ask. So, so again, we are recent converts to the movers. And the line I said to my wife the other day to kind of like summarize why we love the show so much is I think inherent in children's music is it will be stuck in parents' heads for all eternity because uh, you're constantly watching it over and over again. Something about the movers... The kids love we, the we music. Call it, we call that the the baby shark conundrum. Oh <laughs> gosh, that song! Uh, something about the movers. The kids love it, and when it gets stuck in my head, I'm really okay with it. How do you write these songs? <laughs> how how does that happen? I think the key uh, is to write music and songs that we would want to hear, and mm. then the you know, and the and really the lyrics are just kind of age and developmentally appropriate for either the narrative or even like our first three indie albums really paralleled where our our children were developmentally. And so the songs, you know, the funny thing is, is like we always, we started out as a kid's band, you know, writing music for kids. And then, you know, a lot of times in interviews, people would always say, Hey, uh, were you an adult band? And, and, and then you decided to write kids music kind of like they might be giants that, that, Mm -hmm. that, that whole idea. And, and really, I think for us, we were always writing adult music. But our adult life were as fathers of young children. And so yeah. our songs were really reflective of those experiences. And so I think there was an authenticity to doing a song about taking a bath or uh, riding a bike that was that was authentic to our experience at the time. And so uh, and then, of course, musically speaking, it was always stuff that we you know were influenced by or that we wanted to, you know, that that really kind of shaped our sound. Um, whether it be ska influence or what have you, but uh, you know we've always been fortunate enough to to hit on some really great choruses uh, that 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 created earworms, you know that that you yeah. couldn't get away from, and, um, and 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 I think for us because of our demo, we we wrote a lot of upbeat songs because you can't really get away with mid tempo or slow songs, maybe mm-hmm. once in a while. But um, and I and and even now I, I think writing a fast pop song is really one of the harder things to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really I don't want to say it's easy because I don't know if songwriting is ever easy. But it's it's I think it's those mid tempo and slow songs are, are a little easier to do. I'll say it easy. It's a little easier to do than that really kind of driving uh, BPM that that makes you tap your foot uh, and get up and dance. I think that's a harder song to do. You know, for me at least. Uh, in my experience at writing, but we've been forced to sort of write those songs because of our demo and keeping our the attention of our demo. 
but we've been fortunate. Um, and I think we've been fortunate that, that we all sort of share songwriting, um, yeah. which is something that I think has definitely kept us together. Um, is that we all, sh- you know, we might, I might shepherd a song that I really like, or I bring something to the table, but we all have for the most part, uh, the, at least the opportunity to equally participate in a song's creation. Yeah. I always appreciated that. Um, like the Lena McCartney thing was always kind of exciting when you first hear about it. It's like, oh, they wrote it all together. And then you realize, no, they didn't. And every <laughs> once in a while they get mashed together, but yeah. they had a like legitimate like rivalry with each other. And then it's like, oh, that's a little sad. But you look at like a band like R.E.M., where all their all their songs are Stipe, Mills, yeah. Barry, Buck. And they, I mean, some of them would bring an idea, but they all wrote the stuff together. And that, when a band can, I always like it when a band says, songs by the band. That's it. Uh, because it really, you, you get the sense that the band really enjoys being a band together. And, and I think it, it, you know, early on we had a, a, a big help, an entertainment lawyer, Sam Jabergia, uh, who basically sat us down before there was any real, you know, momentum behind what we were doing and said, hey, you need to kind of get these things in order before there's any money or anything like that. And so, you know, we had an operational agreement. We had all these kinds of things. And I think early on we agreed, um, regardless who, of whoever brought us, whoever, you know, I could write a full song, but we were all going to share one fourth in it. Mm-hmm. Um, because that for at least my, my knowledge and experience is the reason bands break up is because of songwriting credit and, Hey, I've got eight songs in this album. Well, where, what happened to my, you know, two songs that, you know, and that was just always like the, the, the ego that I think, um, sometimes would be the Achilles heel for bands was songwriting. Uh, and early on the bands that we admired, like REM and, uh, and U2 shared songwriting. And mm-hmm. so... For us, that was a decision we made early on, and and it and it's you know how can you say it hasn't helped us you know stay? I mean, we're I think the great legacy for the Movers is not only in the show and the music, but it's also the fact that we were friends before and we're friends now. Um, so how did that like what, you you were friends and then became a band? I know in the song it says four friends from the neighborhood had a like, but it's it's pretty convenient that your four friends who are all real good at being a band. Like well, I know, got four it's, friends it's, and I can't play an instrument. <laughs> it's funny because, you know, I think, um, you know, was there a fifth friend who just like was no good? <laughs> <laughs> I could play a tambourine. Poor Pete. <laughs> I know that, uh, you know, I think probably early on, you know, Dave sort of taught him, had to relearn the bass. He had picked it up. Yeah. Um, he's really good though. Yeah, he is. Like, especially in a live show, like he's doing all the, like he, he's not playing the simplest bass line. He's, when like, he's definitely running around a lot. I think the hardest yeah. thing, uh, um, for, for when, when we, when we do something live is to maintain the integrity of the music, but also yeah. entertain kids. Because yeah. a kid's going to remember a high five you give him, you know, you give them in the audience rather than if you hit an off note. Yeah. So um, I know Dave is definitely out in the audience. So it's definitely hard to play bass and keep keep what he needs to keep down. I'm always impressed with the the live show because we've seen you a bunch of times live. But uh, you guys are better than you need to be. Oh, thank you. Like that's, <laughs> and that, and it, I mean, I say that like flip kind of flippantly, but like in all honesty, like the kids don't notice. No, but they, don't. they do over time. Like yeah. that's that. There's a lot of kids' music that like a five year old would love, 
but a 15 year old's not going to love. And like our kids are like our oldest is he's 10 and a half and they, they have, there's no sign of slowing down on, on love and movers music. And like, it's the one thing that anytime we just like, we can't think of what to put on. It's like, we'll just put on the movers and no one ever's like, no, that's not, I mean like anything else they'll, there's always a dissenter who's just like, I'm kind of tired of this kind of music. But, uh, and that like the, the to to like maybe the baseline's not incredibly complicated, but it's more complicated than it needs to be for someone who's running around yeah. in the audience. I, I, you know, I think you know we've always we've always dedicated ourselves to playing live music. You know, mm-hmm. that's you know we uh, I think the only time we've ever had tracks were when we did uh, the 2012 uh, Rockomatic. We actually yeah. did one song where we danced. And we yeah. had tracks playing because we danced. Is it animal and, dancing? And, no, it was a uh, it was a uh, 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 get up, get okay. up. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, uh, and so that particular song, we did a dance. You know, um, click my heels two times, roll your arms. Now mm-hmm. I'm doing fine. And we all did this dance. And part of it was because during that tour, we would get local dance troops to join us on stage. Hmm. And so we would contact local dance. Uh, studios send them the the dance mm-hmm. we would start off the song and they would come and join us um and it was just part of our show but that was the only time we really did tracks you know yeah. because for us i think playing live was a really important part of our mission as a group because we wanted to show and demonstrate to kids that they could create they could be creators themselves they could play an instrument, you know, that an instrument makes sounds and things like that. And I think, you know, it's 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 easy to kind of sing and dance, you know, when you're playing over tracks, but that you could actually create the music that you're singing and dancing to as well is, I think, a part of the modeling we wanted to do and had always been a part of what we wanted to do. It, it, I mean, it totally works. Like, I, I again, this sounds like I'm kissing up. I'm really not because, again, <laughs> this has just been like quarantine life for us. Um <laughs> But the other day, uh, one of my sons, I have twin boys, um, one of my boys lost his hat. And I said, what do you want to do about that? And he sat for a second and went, let's brainstorm. And it was just like, it was not just that the song had been played over and over again. It was like, okay, wait, hang on. I have a problem. Here's the process that we run through to fix it. And like, I think, so I guess the question behind that is like, when you were talking about developmentally appropriate, did you do any study research in that? Or is it just kind of like what felt right having kids of your own so my my background is in education so you know it was definitely and part of the inspiration for what led to the development of the movers was my experiences in the classroom and really really noticing kind of a lack of creativity in my students uh you know i would give a writing assignment and i would get like kind of a regurgitated spongebob episode and i would think oh my gosh you know where where were the days when you could pick up a stick and it was not just a stick, it was a pretend mm. flute or a baton. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, those kinds of, you know, taking what's there, not at face value, but what it could be and the potential that existed uh, in and of itself. And so that was sort of what led to a lot of, of, of the movers' early idea and formation of it, and that a lot of it was educationally grounded. And, um, you know, whether it be multiple intelligences where... I was a visual learner, and that was represented by the wobble goggles, mm-hmm. or Dave was analytical. Uh, those are all things that we really thought about okay. and kicked around early in the process. And even like brainstorming for us, you know, that was a part of the idea of like, in, and not to say we, you know, obviously we didn't create the concept of brainstorming, but I think we have, we definitely assisted in its um, 
and introducing it into the vernacular of a kid. Yeah. Uh, maybe that might have not had that opportunity. And so, you know, it was definitely, um, you know, uh, really uh, an intentional part of our design to be uh, s- sound educationally speaking, because I think yeah. early on in our, 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 our road, we wanted to go the PBS route. I mean, that was our whole real desire was to go that route um, and be kind of really entertainment, but education as well. Uh, and of course, you know, we, we happen to be with Disney and, 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 and we're fortunate to have had that experience. But I think our first road was always that public television kind of uh, PBS, uh, public broadcasting uh, road. And so we wanted to make sure that everything we did could not, we didn't want to give anybody a reason to say no to us. Yeah. And so we did our homework, uh, especially when we were pitching our ideas. And, and the early pitches were to the PBS, local PBS affiliates in New Orleans and what have you. And so if they were going to question anything that we did, we needed to make sure we were grounded in what we were, how we responded to it. So if I could uh, take a, a, a step back in your timeline and then a kind of step forward with kind of where we're going. We often, the, the premise of the show, we often kind of look at uh, the world around us and the culture around us and the things that we love and try to find, uh, I mean, kind of asking that question, so where's God in that? And what, what can we learn about God? What can we learn about ourselves in that? Um, so the step back is, what was your major in college? So I was a religious studies major. So I got yeah. my degree hey. in, in, in religious Ooh, studies. It's almost like I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, was, uh, I was accepted to Duke Divinity School. Hey. Um, and I was going through the candidacy process for the Methodist uh, faith. And during that process, um, you know, most times when you go through this process, they really kind of earmark you for the pastoral setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was really um, more interested in the academic. Uh, and so the idea of pastoring a, a church was really, uh, I don't want to say a, um, it was more than I, I didn't feel called to do it. You know, yeah, yeah. I, I think probably as easy as is to say. And so I left the process and I deferred my acceptance. And, you know, I always tell people that I had earwax build up because my call to preach was actually a call to teach. And yeah. so, uh, you know, and that's really my journey. But I think, um, you know, even still, uh, you know, my faith has always been a part of everything that I've done. Um, and even, you know, the movers, you know, we all have different faiths within the movers. Um I'm probably the most outspoken about mine um, in, in how I operate day to day than the others. Uh, but, you know, it's always been a part of, of who I am in my design. And so, uh, you know, it's funny to think about like where life would have taken me had I gone to, uh, you know, gotten my master's and, and what have you. So it's interesting. Well, and being a, a pastor's kid, well, what was that? Especially being a pastor's kid, where your your father was in real specialized ministry because right. he didn't have a congregation, but he is doing. I mean, the hardest part of ministry. It's like, yeah, uh, you know, I think yeah. uh, I definitely, you know, now in retrospect, I can't imagine the the weights that my dad had to carry. You know, that he never really showed to us. Um, was he a chaplain your whole life? Yeah, because in the a Methodist church, often like they'll. A lot of times the, the call in the Methodist church is for four or five years and then That's they move right. you to a different thing. You're right. And I think, you know, I, I, and probably a sidebar is 
one of the reasons I didn't go into a pastoral setting is probably because of that movement, that, yeah. that four or five year yeah. movement and seeing, not that, you know, I grew up in that, but I didn't mm. have to because my dad was reassigned to the hospital, but I saw a mm. lot of other preachers, kids that that was really difficult. And I think yeah. even for my brother, before my dad became, that was a difficult thing to make friends and even my mom to make friends and then not have them, you know, three yeah. years or four years down the road. And it's and like was, being a military brat. Yeah, like it, it was. Really, and so, cause my dad, I was a pastor's kid too. And my dad was an associate and we moved every four years. Yeah. Like that. And we were Presbyterian, so we could have stayed, but just associates tend to move a lot. Yeah. And, and it was almost worse because in the Methodist church, at least, you know, like don't unpack everything. Like, that's right. Kinda, <laughs> and, and that's a tough thing, you know, especially yeah. if you're like, going through that candidacy process, uh, as I was, and I was like, and, and the great thing is, you know, I had a wonderful wife and she was open to it. And, uh, yeah. but I was like, you know, it was just not something that, that, that I wanted to have to be a part of, you know? Yeah. And not to say that, you know, I think, you know, there was a lot of questions and answers during that kind of calling what you're calling period. But, um, but that figured in, it definitely figured in. Absolutely. Um, and then, you know, my dad was, was in the military, so he was a chaplain in the, in the, in the army, uh, National Guard, and then of course with the hospital, and so like you know, I spent my first up until second grade. You know, I lived in Thailand for a little while, lived in San Antonio, mm. Texas, a little while. Wow. Uh, he was the first. My dad was the first brigadier general, first chaplain in the National Guard to attain the brigadier general. Oh rank. man, wow! So uh, and he would go to the Pentagon and and stuff like that. But he was a he was a really down to earth guy, really great guy, uh, but. Uh, I couldn't imagine being a chaplain at a hospital. That would be yeah. such a tough thing to do, to deal with that uh, that kind of, uh, you know, um, reality of life and death, you know, and then and to be a, a source of hope uh, in a situation where hope seems, you know, fleeting. Um, and especially when you're dealing with death, you know, um, to, to, to somehow be a light in that. It's you know, it's a very rare person. Like I, 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 you know, Tyler and I probably do a couple hot, well, we used to before pandemic time, uh, like hospital visits. Um, and it, it's a weird thing. Like I, I always feel like I'm standing on holy ground when I'm standing with people like that. Um, but it has a heavy cost. And, yeah. um, I, I, it's, it's a special kind of person that can do that day after day after day after day. Yeah. Uh, and keep, keep one foot in front of the other. Well, and there's a, uh, this is a weird statement to say, so take it, with, it's not going to make sense, and it's going to probably sound wrong, but there is uh, some, in a sense, like a privilege to mm-hmm. be with someone in their last moments, um, and it's such a weird thing to be the moment when all of a sudden you can just feel there's less people in this room, mm-hmm. like there's the same amount of bodies, but there's less people here, Um and, and that's, I mean, not even getting in the existentialness of it. Like it just is a palpable difference. Uh, and that's, it's a, it's the saddest thing ever, but to be with someone in those moments is, is really a gift that, uh, I shouldn't have the privilege to be like, yeah. I, I look in that room is like everyone here belongs here. And I've known this person for not very long. You're right. Um, to be with, uh, someone in their last stages of a life long lived, uh, is also just this blessing too. But yeah. one of the hardest things that I found, especially because at that point I'm really there for the family, uh, so much of what your role in that position is not saying things. Yeah. Like Just learning what not to say. Because there's nothing you can say that will make them feel good. No. And so don't try to fix this situation. It's more being present. That that sense, the, the Jewish sense of sitting Shiva is such an important. Just 
I will reside with you and not to try to explain it or to try exactly. to like, the Job story is so interesting because all his friends are like, well, here's why it's happening. <laughs> and that's why it's terrible. Uh, but uh, the, the one, the idea of just being able to sit there and be like, I will be here with you in your pain yeah. and, yeah. and I can't fix it and I can't explain it and I'm not going to try to, but just to know that there's more beyond this is, yeah. is a blessing in that standpoint. Yeah. I think it was a, uh... One of the interesting things is during my dad's uh, funeral, one of the pastors that, that had spoken during that, uh, you know, obviously a lot of the go-to is um, he wept, you know, the shortest verse. Mm. Uh, and and really didn't didn't treat it in the sense of, of Christ grieving, uh, but more of like Christ realizing where um, uh, Lazarus was leaving to come back. Mm-hmm. And, and weeping for that, you know, mm-hmm. that idea of, of that otherness of where he was to back here in this kind of mm-hmm. temporal existence and, 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 and re, really redefine that definition of that, that verse for me. It was like, and it was really kind of, it was uh, for me uh, uh, really empowering, you know, it was, mm-hmm. it, was this, it was a nice take on that, you know, that those two words. So I always think about that. So I really liked, um, the as you're talking about kind of the the discerning that sense of like should i go into the ministry and realize like no and it was especially when it's the pragmatic realities of what that life is uh like if some way you can feel well that's kind of cheap i mean if i really was supposed to do this that shouldn't be the reason to keep me out of it but uh that's it's those are good reasons not to do it like that uh, because some of doing any of this life doing being a teacher like some the people who become a teacher to get their summers off make the worst teachers yeah no kidding. uh and the, you can be it's real easy to be a bad teacher because i was i was also i would I, I was the other way i went in to be a teacher and then became a preacher what i liked i was a history teacher and what i why i became a history teacher because there's a lot of bad history teachers and i had a couple really good ones and i realized like oh this is great if you just teach it well like yeah. it's not and it's not even that hard to teach it well because it's just people and stories and everything is history and like music is history math is history art is history and just talk about the people and then i had some really bad pastors and some really good pastors in realizing like oh this can be really good if you just teach it well like yeah. and it's not that hard just focus on the people like yeah. it's these these are people who make mistakes these are people who don't get it i'm always really encouraged by the fact that the disciples never know what jesus is talking about and the passage is when when he'll tell he'll say something and he's like you understand that right and all the disciples kind of look at each other like no we don't don't ask any questions because <laughs> yeah totally we get, get it yeah i have yeah. no idea what you're talking about <laughs> and it's encouraging to me to notice but what a lot of times it was presented as though faith is binary you either have it or you don't yeah. and so when i would re- i would have these doubts i'd feel bad about it and then you realize like everybody in scripture doesn't know what's going on. And they're constantly struggling with like, I don't understand this. And hitting that point of just kind of saying, not just accept it, but just saying like, yeah, it's going to be confusing. There's going to be times where we don't really get a handle on it. And even the, the sermon that you, that you had at your, at your, that, that the guy gave at your father's funeral, that sense of like, there's something more mm-hmm. to this mm-hmm. that we can't con- comprehend. And it's so beautiful that the hope of that is what can kind of sustain us in this moment. We don't have to know yeah. what's there, but knowing that there's something bigger can be really, really helpful. Yeah, um, and I think even like, you know, I, I remember reading uh, Shusuku Indu's book, Silence, you know, that they made the movie of yeah, uh, back yeah. in college and thinking that that act of apostasy was actually an act of faith, you know? Yeah. Um, 
you know. Boy, that's a all. I'm sure all the Mover fans have read that book. Though. Oh, I'm sure they are. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great read. You want a real bummer of a book? Read Silence. <laughs> it's a great book. It's yeah. uh, yeah, it it's yeah. Oh man, that's a that's a rough one. Yeah. Uh, so you're you're a te- you're a professor of music now, still, right? So yeah, I'm I, I'm a professor. Uh, I am the uh, coordinator for the music business program at the University of Louisiana at Lafayette. So I do. So, you know, I don't teach music per se. I teach more like the business elements like booking and touring and um, uh, artist management, things like that. Yeah. The, wh- I mean, in what ways it's it, it, very clearly to Tyler's point, like that's that sounds like a call to you. Uh, what is it about teaching that like brings you most to life? In those? Well, it is. You know, the strange thing is it's for us, our our whole experience with the movers has been cyclical. You know, the way the jobs that we started are the jobs we've come back to in some way, shape, or form, you know, uh, you know, we've climbed the, the mountain of movers and we're maybe on the other side, who knows? Uh, we, we definitely on the other side, but, uh, um, it, it, you know, it's interesting. I, I was fortunate to be in the right place at the right time for this job. Uh, I think, you know, when you're young, you're like, God, it'd be great to be a college professor. And the fact that, I mean, I know this, uh, you know, I, do not take anything for granted, uh, but I fell into it, you know, I really did. It was, uh, I was, and it was the movers that sort of led me because we were playing uh, at UL. We had rented out the auditorium and one of the professors, his ch- children were big fans and he said, oh, I didn't realize you lived in Lafayette. Come and speak to my class. And I did that. And he was like, do you want to be an adjunct, you know, teacher and, and teach this course? And I was like, I'd love to. And then because because there are so many content creators, music creators, and that, you know, a kid can record in their bedroom, um, and, you know, the democratization of media with YouTube, creating your own channel, um, inexpensive recording equipment, all these different things that align. Um, UL had thought in its infinite wisdom that, hey, let's create, because they had really sort of uh, uh, piecemeal together this kind of music business program, and they were like, we need somebody to head it. And I just happen to be there at the right time in the right place. And I'm so fortunate to do so because I get to hang out with, you know, college kids who are wanting to be creators, but also wanting to know about their intellectual property and how to create strings of revenue. And so it keeps me definitely in tune with, you know, quote unquote, the game. Um, But uh, it's great to be around people who want to learn. You know, I think that's like one of the big things is like, you know, you want to learn, you want to know things and that I get to be a part of that journey for others is, is really incredible. So that's awesome. it's a nice thing that too, that redeems the ups and the downs of the movers. Cause I mean, without getting into details, you guys have had some bumps. Oh yeah. Uh, and, and some, some ways in which uh, you kind of gotten screwed from some, th- some things and had you just had smooth sailing and just kind of like stumbled it. Like Michael Jordan was a terrible coach because he, he's just like, I don't know, be Michael Jordan. Like he, he never really failed at things except for baseball. But that, that sense, like when Michael Jordan became front, like he wasn't a good teacher. And, and sometimes when you just succeed, it's hard to really teach. You learn more from losing and you guys have had, have really done some great stuff, but also there were some bumps along the way. And I think that that would, that sense of the the full your life being redeemed through not that it, it's boy I'm so glad that that happened uh, like you don't have to think I'm really glad that all the, the, the those ways in which we got screwed really happened but you can see to me kind of that sense of like God redeeming that stuff not like God was happy when that stuff happened but God can use that to so that you can help other people through that 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, uh, you know, if I can't, if we can't take, uh, our experiences for better or worse and share them with others, you know, all, we get hit up a lot of, a lot from potential children's artists who, you know, kind of want to know what secrets we might have. Yeah. And, and we're always willing to share, you know, our ideas. Uh, it's so funny because I think even among the indie children's music artists out there, you know, I always kind of oscillate whether they like us or not, you know, because, <laughs> you know, because success breeds some, t- some contempt, contempt. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and we've been successful. And so, but I, I, I don't think we've ever not been available or accessible to other artists who wanted to pick our brains. Mm-hmm. I know we definitely, and anytime we can perform with an artist that we, we love, um, we do, you know, their dirty sock fun time band, Mike Messer, uh, in New York, him and Adam played with us. Um, uh, the pop-ups have played with us, you know, anytime we can kind of share some of the love, the Micmacs, uh, we do, you know, it's just, I think it's part of the fact that we realize just how fortunate we've been, um, that, you know, anything that we can do to help others, we, we, you know, within reason, uh, we do, you know, it just seems, seems like a smart way to go about, uh, creating positive energy, you know, for all, for all those involved. Like calling into a really random podcast with two pastors, you know, like that, yeah, that's just lovely. And I think, you know, the funny thing is, is like, you know, I, I think part of it is also just being able to explore faith, you know, because, you know, the movers are not a Christian band, you know, that yeah. kind of thing like that. Uh, each individual member might have their, 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 you know, a faith position or, 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 you know, what have you. I don't know what the best way to kind of explain that. Yeah. But, um, yeah. you know, I think there are certain things that we've done in the past. Like, for example, you know, we, we made the decision not to, um, you know, at, at one point in time, we had a deal with Chick-fil-A to um to have something in the happy meal and their meals excuse me mm. uh and then of course yeah their meals are not happy no no, no. <laughs> uh for their kids meals yeah. and Continue. you know this was also the time when sort of a, a lot of the the negative talk for the LB, lgbt community came out and yeah. and so it, it and we and and because of that we we sort of moved away from having that relationship and that was just a decision amongst the band yeah um and and for us, it was just important that whatever we decided to do, because, you know, we've always, you know, to e- make this even a bigger picture, we've always thought about kids as creators instead of consumers. And mm-hmm. and that's always been part of, like, kind of our philosophy. Now, it'd be great if I were much more financially secure than I am, uh, but we've never looked at the movers as kind of this exploitation, you know, way. Uh, and, you know, we lost money by not doing that deal Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that and, and exposure and visibility. Yeah. But for us, it was just it didn't it didn't sit right at the time. Um, that's a big that's a bigger. I I appreciate that story because that's a it's the kind of thing that I think people might not have blamed you for. Like people wouldn't. It's it's real easy to justify. Hey, there's a lot of money. There's a lot of uh, a lot of exposure. There's a lot of good things to this company uh, that we can overlook these yeah. other things, and and people won't necessarily associate it with, with that. Like that's, but the to to make that decision is to not be. I love the the idea of kids as creators and not consumers. Yeah, yeah. that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I, kids will live into the impression that we have of them, and oh, if you yeah, approach totally. them as as creative people who have things to offer, 
and someone that's worth listening to, then they will respond as, as such. Yeah. I've really appreciated that in your shows that when we've gone there with our kids, like they have felt like, like they think of you all as their friends, <laughs> not as these celebrities or these imaginary people. And they think that from the show, but they also think that from the, the times we've seen you live, that they, they get actual responses from you and not just like, hello kid, here's this picture. Thank you for coming to the, like you, you're interested in that. And it, and it's really not hard from a posture standpoint to, to give a kid attention. You're right. It doesn't cost us anything to, no. to just be real, you know, and, and, and kind and nice. It's like, you know, I think we, you know, not to pat ourselves on the back, but you know, we were intentional about not having intermission during our show because really the only reason that exists is to sell. Yeah, merchandise, yeah. you know, uh, and and I and we're probably the worst salespeople of ourselves as far as pushing our merch <laughs> and things like that. We have to really remind ourselves to do that, you know. It's just not in our, uh, you know, we're not. Uh, our default is not to like, hey, go buy stuff. Um, although it helps, you know. Obviously, it helps. You know, it's like I think the the, the weird perception and reality is that despite the you know, being on television doing three seasons, you know, the movers were, were great, but it was not as financially lucrative as we assumed it might be. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that, it's I think, mean, it's and, like and, TLC. And, yeah. And it's, it's, it really is. It's one of those things where it's like, oh my gosh, you know, none of us really got to pay off the mortgage of a house, you know? Hmm. Um, and I think for us, you know, it, it, that's really kind of a weird thing because none of us are really like, oh, we're in, obviously we're not in it for the money. Uh, but there was a lot of creative um, investment in what we did, and the equity of that was never seen. And and, and part of it was like you referenced early and earlier about like kind of getting taken for grant, taken advantage of. You know, it's like you watch the show and you'll see that first placard of like based on the music and format of the Imagination Movers, and that in and of itself is a testament to kind of like that should say created by because yeah. we yeah. created the concept yeah. but by created by meant more money that would have come to us and that was not the case and so you know it, you le- definitely learned kind of those different areas to na- as we navigated this whole thing uh, with that being said you know I, you probably ask any of the movers when we're playing you know you have the opportunity to, 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 to go to Europe and we're doing military bases with you know Navy Entertainment that in and of itself is worth more than any kind of like little money. I mean, you get to play for families of, you know, people in the military and you're doing it in Europe, you know, it's just awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and being taken care of by Navy entertainment cause they're, they're great. Uh, so those are the things, you know, you, it's, it, it's been a wonderful, wonderful experience to be a mover. It's been fantastic. I think I'm so proud of the legacy we've created and, and, and a lot of what we meant. And we're not by, we're not perfect guys by any stretch of the imagination. We're, you know, we're dudes, you know, we have our faults, you know, we get on one another's nerves. Um, but, you know, I think for the most part from the beginning to the, to even now we did it for the right reasons and can, and continue to do so for the right reasons. Well, that, that's, you know, you said earlier, it's kind of like the theme of our podcast, the, you know, that, that you're not a Christian band per se. Um, I, I truly find in my life 
that the people that are willing to not put that label on themselves act more Christ-like to me <laughs> than yeah. a lot of the people that do. Uh, you know, and and I, I I come from a place again of real gratitude because I've got two kids that are just being shaped by what you're doing right now. Uh, well, no, they're being shaped by what you did however many years ago, but still, <laughs> like that, I think that's a testament to uh, you know some of the values you guys are naming. Uh, yeah. That education is important. That that you know gosh, in this world that kindness is important <laughs> is is kind of, you know, a novel idea. Uh, I, I think you guys shine the light of Christ in ways that m- maybe you're not even aware of, you, you know, in the ways you're doing it, but I think it's it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. Well, I appreciate that because I think, you know, for, for us and really kind of dealing with those kind of labels, um, you know, I, I kind of uh, always echo like Frederick Beekner and, you know, and how, yeah. you know, he considers, you know, we are, we've inherited a threadbare language when, when it comes to our faith and these terms like faith and grace have been used over and over and over again, that they become worn and thin. And, uh, and especially under that Christian umbrella where there are 20,000, you know, iterations of, of a Christian and the polarities between the right and the left are like, almost, you know, are complete opposites, yet they're using the same language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that those terms have been just become, you know, almost threadbare. They become almost nothing. And yet the reality of what they point to is something. And so I think it's it's our journey to really know that those words do, have, you know, have lights at the end of those tunnels. And it's just our quest to really kind of move towards those lights uh, and yeah. really kind of uh, you know, instead of inheriting the word faith, what does faith mean? You know, and really dialoguing with it and and wrestling with it. I think you know, um, you know, Jack, Jacob wrestled the angels. That idea of us wrestling with all of this is an important part of our our journey as as, as people of faith uh, is to question, to doubt, to uh, you know, to yeah. wonder where God is uh, when we need when we think that you know we need uh, God the most or or what have you to, to have to wrestle all the time. I think that's part of our our our, our faith journey. You know, preach it, Scott. To to Jay's point that you can see Christ in the show, not because Christ is preached, but because what Christ preaches is in the show. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and it I mean it models the patron saint of uh, children's television, Fred Rogers. Yeah, which. Fred Rogers was a Presbyterian pastor. That's it. But he was ordained. His congregation was the show. Like he's ordained to specialized ministry, which is like in the Presbyterian church, special, a chaplain would be specialized ministry. So being a, an ordained pastor without a formal parish or congregation and his congregation was the show. So the same as like a missionary would be. And if you watch Mr. Rogers and you find out he's a pastor, you're like, Oh, of course. Like, it's not a surprise. But he never says Jesus. He never says like anything religious at all. But every single thing he says is so much more uh, consistent with what Christ is asking us to do and to, and to teach and preach. And, and and that plus goofiness is the movers. That yeah. plus goofiness and catchy songs. And I, and I think um, you know it's funny because I think one of the most uh, I guess theologically significant events for me uh, happened in the the form and shape of a fortune cookie. You know, and I cracked it open and the fortune read, um, uh, words without deeds are like a garden full of weeds. And, and that mm. just stuck with me. And for mm. me, is really part of my faith, you know, is that it's really about action. You know, it's like you can hear people talk 
all the time and tell you what you should do or what you know this. But if who was the gentleman who 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 said uh, leading cost of atheism is people who um, claim Christ but then deny and buy their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Okay, it, yeah. Oh, uh, the anyway, Ragamuffin, Brendan, yeah, Ragamuffin Gospel. Yeah. I think yeah. he's yes. the one who coined that. But anyway, it's that idea that you know it's in our actions mm-hmm. that that really our faith is seen. What's that? It's faith without works is dead. Yes, James, it, yeah. it, it really is. Yeah, and the St. Francis of Assisi thing, uh, at all times preach the gospel, if necessary, use words like yes. that. So not having to, not saying Jesus on a show that's for preschoolers and elementary age kids doesn't mean that you aren't exhibiting, here's what a, the best way for us to live is to care about each other, to be curious, to be creative, and to have fun, and to not be frustrated. One of the things that I love about the show, and this was kind of echoed in what Jay was saying with his kids with the brainstorming story, like that, that uh, Jesus says, uh, let the, like, let the little children come to me. And this is, unless you come to me like one of these little ones, then you won't be able to get in like that. And it's not to say like, it's, he's not fencing heaven. He's just saying, this is how you should approach life. And if, and it's not to say ignorant, a lot of times that gets viewed like have a simple faith. No. Kids are not simple and ignorant at all. No. They are complex, but they're not threatened by questions. Yeah. And that and one of the things I love about the movers, there's no point in the show where like, guys, we just can't do this. I don't know. I mean, like that that there's frustration, but it's never no one gets mad at each other for making mistakes. Uh like uh Rich's machines never work, <laughs> but you're always like, Yeah, let's try it, Rich. And like that that sense of or not Rich uh, uh, Dave's, Dave's stuff. And uh that kids notice that yeah. mm-hmm. and the more that we uh, foster that curiosity like that's what I feel like Jesus is saying is like we should look at life like it's this fun thing that we get to explore and when we don't understand it, we're like I don't know let's brainstorm and figure it out and yeah. oh we screwed up but okay let's give it another shot yeah and I think the you know just in the show the ability to fail yeah was not frowned upon you know that no. failure was part of getting you know of finding what we needed to find to solve whatever the idea of emergency was and and that failure was part of the process, and I think that was a that was definitely an important you know component to the whole the whole picture. You know, the big picture is that failure is fine. You know, failure informs future decisions and for future actions. So, well, and especially in terms of learning, like that, like science right now is the place where failure is part of the process, mm-hmm. and failure just means like, okay, well, I've done this test, and I know now that it it narrow it focuses where you're going, and so failure is essential. Whereas we act like the, especially the more that faith gets viewed as like an enemy of science or vice versa, which is ridiculous. Yeah. But that, that sense that also in faith failure is part of the process. Yeah. And that, yeah. and if you look at the stories in scripture, like people are constantly making mistakes and, and not understanding what's going on. And that's how you figure out kind of where you're going. And that, and unless we in, in, involve failure and doubt and uncertainty into this part of the process, then we are really shutting down who God made us to be these brains that God gave us and this curiosity. That's this beautiful thing that helps us to appreciate and explore the world and see like, there's so many things happen because of failure. I don't know if it really happened this way, but we wouldn't have peanut butter, Reese's peanut butter cups. <laughs> if the person with the chocolate wasn't walking by the person with the peanut butter. That's it. And the world would not have survived without them. <laughs> well, that, that was a pretty good intro. Are you ready to start the podcast? <laughs> yeah, now? I'm or ready. Whenever you guys are ready. Right. Okay. You guys press record. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. First off, thank you to our guest, Scott Durbin. Hey, my pleasure, my pleasure. Uh, wonderful, wonderful human being. Uh, please watch the Imagination Movie, even if you don't, even if you don't have any kids in your in your house. Uh, yeah, 
I still will just put on the movers when no one else is around. It's just a, it's a great, uh, I mean, I watch Mr. Rogers too. It's a, it's a great, it's a feel good show. Great, great songs. Listen to them on Spotify, listen to them on, or whatever you have, buy their albums. Got yeah. one right here. Thank you. Uh, the uh, uh, um, so uh, anything to plug on the way out? Anything like anything you're watching? Anything you think people should like? Just media you'd like enjoy this. Okay. This. Uh, so uh, well, uh, I'll definitely say, um, you know, for anybody stream the show, it's always a wonderful thing. Tell other people about the show. I mean, it helps. It'd be great, you know, because theoretically, I mean, there's nothing surprises us in 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 the entertainment world and. You know, it's conceivable that, you know, a good response would lead to a special. I know that mm. that's mm. definitely something that's been mentioned to us. And you always have people who come in, uh, some champions here and there. And that that it's not out of the realm of possibility of that happening based on, you know, just people getting back into what we're doing. And um, I think, you know, if you'd like to read, uh, I'm a huge fan of Frederick Beekner. So, you know, spell it, spell it for people. Cause it's not, it's not how you would spell it. I have to check the spelling every time it's that like I B U E C H N E R. There's gotta be yeah. an umlaut in there or something like a pound. Yeah. Sign. I don't know. Uh, and you know, uh, whistling in the dark, all those like kind of ABC books that he does are just fantastic. Um, even his sermons, you know, I think message in the stars is my favorite sermon by him. Mm. Uh, and just to kind of do a little synopsis, it was just, it's like this idea that if the stars align themselves where like God exists and just kind of this definitive external proof of God's existence, how would that change how we deal with God and our relationship on a daily basis? And that even if it changed and gave everybody who had any doubt ultimate proof, divine proof that God exists, how would that ultimately change our relationship? And for the most part in this, in his little sermon, it, it doesn't change it very much because it's really about this relationship. And that's the, it's not about proving, uh, it's about that relationship. And so mm-hmm. uh, I would highly encourage anybody to pick up a Frederick Beekner book, uh, read it, a B-U-E-C-H-N-E-R. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, there you yeah, go. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then, um, you know, as far as music is concerned, I mean, I'm a huge Sufjan Stevens fan. Yes. I think go listen to Illinois, uh, and uh, and then uh, enjoy, uh, enjoy, and, and gravitate towards all of the silver linings in this experience that we're going through right now, because that's what's kind of that's what you got to do, you know. Yeah. I would take a, a moment to uh, uh, I want to I want to plug a. a, a another artist from louisiana called the Durbulence. oh yes who is, who is, is quite good especially because he just released a uh, a track a couple like a month ago or so that really sounds like a sufjan stevens yeah really homecoming like. yeah yeah that. so the Durbulence for all those listeners out there is my son uh and he uh, actually won a john lennon songwriting award for oh, hip-hop no for a song called one dollar uh, and you can go check him out on Spotify, The Durbulence. Yeah, he's great. He's got a couple albums. He's got a, a full album, and then he's got an e- a Christmas EP, which is That's amazing. Right. Yes. And then a bunch of singles. And his album is basically, it's it's hip-hop, trap, rap music. And it's this white kid from Lafayette. Like, yeah, and it's is, a concept album about Huey Long. So yeah. how can you go wrong with creating a concept album about Huey Long, such a an eccentric... an important New Orleans... Like, if you aren't from Louisiana, you, you may not know who Huey Long is. That's right. Huey, Huey, Lorn, yeah. uh, Huey Long was an eccentric governor uh, in the 30s for the state of Louisiana. Uh, I mean, just really out there, but but also, um, you know, he's better known as the Kingfish. Yeah. Uh, Huey Long is. That's Think like John Goodman. 
Yes, yes, as, played by as yeah, and uh, was a man of the people, but also being from Louisiana, had some weird, you know, uh, parts of his uh, existence, and so. But uh, you know, I think my my son did that when he was sixteen, and I I couldn't imagine being sixteen and creating a concept album about anything, much less uh, an eccentric governor, uh, and then have really good songs on it. So. Well, it also goes to show like what people are capable of. Yeah. You just kind of say, you're a creator. Yeah. Let's hear your voice. That's it. Like, and, and the freedom to fail. Like to That's be 16 it. years old and write a, a, a concept album is not hard if you feel like failure is not a problem. That's right. Yeah. Well, we need to wrap this up because now I have like five hours of music to go get on Spotify. <laughs> so. What, anything for you to plug, Mr. Mr. Fryer? Uh, keep up with the Bridge Worship Jams on Friday nights. We're going to keep doing it. We had a band. Did you watch on Friday, Tyler? I don't want to put you on the spot. I didn't. Did you play Sunseed? You bet I did. Oh! <laughs> Have you ever, uh, Scott, you need to, uh, when you get the chance, Google, I don't know if you ever heard this, but Google Jesus is a friend of mine. Yeah, so uh, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's his band Sunseed. And so Jay, Jay's, uh, um, one of the one of his roles as pastor, as associate of, of his church is that he leads the praise band for, for their contemporary service. And he's been doing much like um, uh, Ben, ben Gibbard yeah. has been doing kind of nightly concerts. Uh, Jay does a weekly concert uh, where he does praise songs, and every week he asks for requests. And every week I say, "Jesus is a friend of mine." My and, Sunseed, and, and this pissed. week, socially distant, I brought the four of the worship team in, and we I showed them the set list, and they're like, "Why are we doing this?" I said, "It's for Tyler." <laughs> And I said, I know he's not going to watch this. Oh, no. But we have to do it anyway, just so that I can feel justified that, you oh, know. Man. I'm no. gonna, is it still up there? Yeah, it's still up. It's up. I'm going to pull the audio and put it on this episode. Hey, oh, hey, don't do that. That's got a, that's got a strong Sky, uh, sky vibe, oh, it's man. A great, it's a great song. Well, The you, guitar player in that is is crazy good, too. Like, And he's working it like, yeah. But we need to have you back at some point because oh, we didn't talk definitely. much about Ska. And I need to know what's going on with Burroughs, with you and Burroughs. Right. Like, yeah, that's a, that's the, that's, we'll do we a part have some two. untapped ground to get to. Yeah. I'm down. Well, nice. thank you so much to our guest, Scott. And thank you to Jay. And thank you to Jay's family and to everyone who put up with that long episode. Right, yeah. So I've been Tyler. I've been Jay. And I'm Scott. And, and this, this has, has been, been Roughing, Roughing the, the Pastor. pastor. Can I, I ask, I have uh, um, just a few real quick, then these are real quick questions, but just about the movers that I've always wanted to ask a mover. Uh, do you have a favorite episode? Um, I loved working with David Kendall. So the ones mm. that he directed, those episodes are generally my favorite. Uh, it's a mystery where, it's a mystery is one. Okay. Uh, that's where I, um, the, there's a bird that's stealing like little snacks and things like yeah. that. Uh, I wear this amazing uh, octopus outfit because we're talking about camouflage <laughs> and things like that. Um, a, a lot of his episodes, you know, I love the uh, the basketball episode simply because one of my favorite songs by the Movers is uh, Robot Chase Song. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the fact that we got that in the show, that it was not rejected, 
that particular song. I mean, we're talking about Dilithium Crystals. We're talking about, you know, we're making... It's a great song, and it's a punk kind of song that's, you know, masked as, you know, with with the, the synth uh, layers there, but it's a... Uh, I think, you know, I look at some of our post-Disney releases, which is like Following My Mom Around, which is on yeah. License to Move, and that's a punk song. I mean, that's a really yeah. just a punk song. Um, I think it was kind of funny on our two, one of our tours... Uh, one of our uh, our guitar techs basically said, "You guys are a punk band, and you don't even know it." And I think that's like, that's that's you know I think the movers uh, he, he definitely got a, a good grip. But favorite episodes, you know, uh, it's a mystery is one of my favorites. Uh, the ones that David Kendall kind of directed, uh, he's such a he was such a good person to work with yeah. uh, that I, I generally probably liked. Um, and and there are episodes like you know. The, the first, the Ha Ha Holidays episode with Santa Claus. Yeah. Um, uh, Joe uh, Menendez, he directed that one. And I think the first director's cut edit came back at like 43 minutes. Oh, man. And the, and the wow. show's like a 20, you know, 23, 22 minute show. Yeah. So there was a lot that was left on the ground. I wish that would have been a special because the room yeah. that we go into with all like the pie fights and all that kind of stuff. There was a lot more in that room uh, that never got seen. Um, so I wish it would be nice to have that redone as a, as a special. But my favorite, probably It's a Mystery, is the one that always comes back to me. I don't know if it just has a fondness for me. I get to wear a so lot of cool costumes. Here's a, here's a, I mean, a deep question. Like, Rip Hamilton is in the basketball. Yeah. How do you get Rip Hamilton? Like, he's not an actor, and he's from no. Detroit. Like, what's the... You know, I think the, the one the one weird thing is, is like, a lot of the guests that we had, Joey Fatone and Doug... He's a, he's a Detroit Piston, but yeah, I think, he is. in case right. you don't know that. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Was. Um, yeah. You know, we, the very, the one that we did have say was um, was Duff yeah, and Goldman. And Joey, Joey Fatone was great, too. Yeah, Joey was great. Uh, Duff Goldman, uh, oh, I yeah. mentioned, like, because, like, the Food Network was real popular. He was on Charm City Cakes. Mentioned that to uh, Scott Bright, who was one of the uh, producers, and and lo and behold, we got Duff to come and do the show. Uh, but most of the, you know, we were just fortunate. A lot of the guests that came in were just wonderful people to work with. Um, Duff, in particular, just stood out. He was so great. Abby Cobb, who was Cinderella. I mean, not Cinderella. Um, uh, Goldilocks. Uh, Goldilocks, excuse yeah. me. Uh, she was swell. Um, but a lot of the people that we got to, to work with uh, that came in were, were just fun to be around and, and really kind of came in and realized, gosh, there's a lot of work, you know. And, and you filmed in New Orleans, right? That's right. We filmed in so New Orleans. So they flew to New Orleans. Like, it's not just like you were in L.A. and just getting whoever. That's on it. The they, they came and they were, they were hmm. uh, you know, they uh, dove in the deep end, you know, when they came down. And so uh, we were fortunate that the show was filmed in New Orleans. So we didn't really have to. You know, we could still have the weekends with the family and things like that was really important, especially with the kids being so young. But how was how was uh, Plumber Pete that guy? Oh, Spanik was great, guy. really great, great. Because he's, <laughs> he's on it twice. He's the yeah, knight. He, he was he's yeah. the only guest who's been on twice, uh, yeah. and he was the knight. He was the uh, knight? So, oh and, man! And Plumber Pete. He um, he's a huge Browns fan, so yeah. we would talk football. Uh, Nobody's perfect. Yeah, great guy. <laughs> um, very helpful too, um, you know. He was a, uh, you know, he's he's got such a, a, a so much experience as an actor uh, and a character actor, uh, and was very very complimentary, but also shared a lot of like like insight into that whole process. That you know that art of, of acting. 
he's one of those guys that you he's in everything yeah like he's just and he's in a ton of commercials for the longest time we knew him as the stuffed crust guy because yeah. he was on this DiGiorno's <laughs> stuffed crust where he's like <laughs> singing stuffed crust to the tune of hot stuff by donna summer and it was such a ridiculous commercial and then when he's on the movie he's like hey it's the stuffed crust guy and he's part of every young kid's experience you know whether it be the zach and cody you know mm-hmm. uh that uh that show and then you know having guests here and there but uh He's a very recognizable individual and a good person. So, uh, Stepanik, hats off. Um, Savage Steve Holland, how was that? Yes, directed some of the episodes. How wild, yeah. wild is that? Better off. That's dead. crazy. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, wrote and directed Better Off Dead. But yeah, he was he was he was cool. Very cool dude. Um, uh, not as as crazy as you would have thought, assumed. Not as savage. Not as <laughs> savage as you would have assumed. Uh, but yeah, his big thing though is Better Off Dead. So like, if you if for people listening, watch a movie Better Off Dead. It is one of the best 80s oh, movies it's great. ever. It is. It's so and it, st- it stood the test of time. That, so. Yeah. And uh, th- yeah, and his episodes, it, he, he, he directed a couple, right? Yeah, he or did. Just one. Okay. Yeah, his episodes were really, really, really fun. Oh, do you have a favorite um, mover song uh, like to play? Like what's, what's the most fun to play? Mm-hmm. Um, I, well, I think right now, you know, "So Glad You're Here" is a is mm-hmm. a really fun song. It, it, it's a listener, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, but there's a part in the song where the lights go out and people are asked to kind of do the lighter on their phone and, and mm-hmm. do it left and right. And you and you know when it's dark and we can see out and see these this wonderful you know visual of people participating and and. and and being active in that concert, in that moment, in that experience, that's always great. And the and the song itself is such a, uh, you know, it's a song about inclusion and and being valued. Um, and that and was that, written like basically on the spot, right? Yeah, well, yeah it was. It was written. It was written when we were touring uh, the military bases. Uh, this this was in Asia. We were doing a show, and a family came out. Um, and had gotten the time wrong for our show and say they were listening to the sound check and we thought, hey, you know, what are some of your favorites? We played a little during the sound check and then we sort of wrote that song or at least the genesis of that song, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, kind of uh, almost spontaneously uh, and then evolved into uh, what we have on on tin four, but that's a, that's a fun song to play. I mean, obviously, like doing a jump up is such a great song because you get everybody having that shared experience, grandparents, parents, little kids, brothers and sisters, jumping up, sitting down, you know, I mean, getting down, standing up, turning around, and it's just a fun thing to see everybody in the the theater uh, doing that uh, with us. So it's really what's a what's a favorite song that you have that didn't translate into the live show, like that you don't get to play. Um, I think uh, you know, "Butterfly" is a really good song. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think. Uh, 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 let the sun shine in is a, is oh, a, man. Is a great song. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, there are a lot of those, those songs where you're like, gosh, you know, I wish uh, I could tell you, I know this is, it, it, it might not be my favorite song, but I had a lot of um, hope for it was um, here we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I remember us deciding, cause I was thinking, Oh, it'd be a great song to come out and start <laughs> our show with a, here yeah. we go. Bow, bow, da, 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 da. And that's sort of a, it's got a little Dave Matthews vibe. The last, the last kind of burning question is, what happened to Knit Knots? Yeah, so, that's one of my questions. <laughs> Knit Knots. So Knit Knots was part of our creation. You know, he was part mm-hmm. of the template we had created, and 
Inspired we, by the format and, of Imagination exactly. Movie. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, and what a great uh, foil for the movers, you know. Yeah, oh, I mean, great. Just visually awesome. And, and really was great. That first season was awesome. Uh, and so the reason why he disappeared is because he didn't test well. Mm. And so mm. that was one of the reasons Disney decided not to bring him back for season two. And yet, I mean, I think he's a genius character, you know. Oh, he, he is. is just... And the guy, the actor is great, too. Yeah, yeah. Douglas Fisher was fantastic. Yeah. Um, but Knit Knots uh, didn't test well. And so that's why that second season we started having guests come mm-hmm. to really kind of mm-hmm. fill that yeah, void yeah. That, that he had. Well, that's that was the other I, bummer. That first season, one of my favorite bits was that you guys never had customers. That was, it was. That like the phone, the phone machine was one of the bigger characters too. That like, <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting for a message is never coming, but you still had stuff to figure out, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. All those, all those problems were internal and, you know, and it could be something like getting your foot stuck in a bucket, you know, something mm-hmm. as simple as that became the, you know, the, the crux of, of the episode. And, and I, you know, I, I'm sure I, I know that it, especially in season three, the writers were having tr- trouble with the template mm-hmm. of, of three failures in a, in a, um, and a success and you know and we were coming up with great concepts for episodes i think the one that we wish would have happened uh one of the uh uh, the ideas that we had synopsis for a show that never happened was that two of us got stuck in a room Hmm. and two of us were dealing with a local like news reporter who was coming to talk about how we solve problems. Oh man. And so it was two two people who were trying to play, you know, kind of manage the news reporter while two were trying to get out of the room. And the and and part of it was that, you know, those two would kind of go and get in really bad costumes like pretending they're the other two, <laughs> kind of, you know, never never in the same place. Um, and for whatever reason Disney thought it was being dishonest because they were trying to fool oh, trying to the deceive. yeah. It, which Oh man. But it was a great, you know, we it's had not like, like Mickey Mouse ever did something like that. Well, it was uh, yeah. well, and and I know we have salt, we have, we we have other episodes where we actually kind of, you know, you know, pulled the wool over somebody's eyes and had to apologize. Yeah. yeah. Um even like me dressing up the king, you know, for yeah. the Cinderella, I was basically yeah. trying to pretend to be somebody I wasn't. But for whatever reason they thought that was a little too too dishonest. But for us it was like you have two two great stories going on, us trying to get out of the room and two trying to manage the news reporter while still you know having her be able to deliver her story about us being problem solvers so it was like a great idea that just never got yeah oh man to, how was uh how was reginald bell johnson carl winslow he i think he came in and did he was do he did one or two days of filming so we didn't really get yeah. to, to hang out he's not in, yeah he's not in the episode very much no he uh that was the idea cafe when nina takes over his idea mm-hmm. cafe uh but you know of course you know i mean we're you're dealing with diehards, you know, yeah. uh, you know, a memorable actor from a, a movie that's iconic. And you should have had him play a cop because he plays a cop in everything else. <laughs> I, I always like to think that that the cop in Family Matters is the cop from Die Hard. He just yeah. moved. That's it. And then he's a uh, he's a cop in Ghostbusters. He's oh, wow. Ghostbusters. Mayor wants to talk to you. Like that's all he says. But it's like right when they're in jail. And then he's the he's a limo driver in Crocodile Dundee. I think you know the one. The one guest that I always forget sometimes is Fran, uh, uh, Stuart Francis. Uh, Stuart, 
Stuart Fran Francis, is that right? From 30 Rock. Oh, yeah, uh, French Stewart. French Stewart, that's it. French Stewart. He was in Third Rock. Third there Rock you from go. the Sun. That's right. Third yeah, yeah, yeah. What did I say? Francis Stewart? Uh, Francis Stewart. It's the same thing. There yeah, go. roughly. Uh, I forgot about him, too, yeah. Because he's not with you guys. He's just with Nina. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's why, you know, you just kind of lose that. But he was on the show. It's like, And he was really a nice person to talk to backstage. Yeah. Um, and then you had uh, the guy from Sex in the City. Oh yeah, <laughs> Willie Willie Garson. Yeah, Willie Garson. Yes, yeah. it's a crazy amount of like the weirdest guest star. Oh, by the way, uh, Jay loves Sex in the City. I gotta, we, City. you gotta go back to a couple episodes. Tyler made me watch on a flight uh, from San Francisco. Made me watch Sex in the City two with absolutely zero context to it. Horrible movie. Warehouse Mouse is a great character. Mouse Mouse was one of those great characters because he's like. Uh, what uh, Louis De Palma from Taxi? You know, mm-hmm. he's kind of like <laughs> yeah, he I mean, he's not like cute. And, I mean, he's cute and cuddly, but he's not. You know, he's yeah. like he's got a little attitude and yeah. Uh, he's definitely uh, he's got some dimensions to him. So, what a so, wonderful character! His super mover is completely dead. Yes, you know it's unfortunate. Yes, we because that would be like that's my dream is that it gets so big on on Disney. Like movers get so big on Disney Plus, they're like, give us something. They're like, how about super movers? The this super, you know, concept. super movers. I'll tell you the one little thing real quick. Uh, when we it was made basically Kratz creatures, or not Kratz creatures, like the uh, uh, what's the Kratz? Wild Kratz show. Wild Kratz. Yes. So wild, like Kratz creatures was a like live action show, and now they have basically a cartoon show because they're older guys. Now. That's right. Uh, and so super movers was like the wild Kratz of imagination. Of imagination movers, movers. and yeah. the, ba- the the terrible thing there, or the most unfortunate thing, is that. When we created this relationship with Nine Story, who was the production company in Canada that helped facilitate that, we they did the first, there's two versions of that trailer. And the first version was a 2D cartoon that's really, um, we thought was super charming, but they did not like. Mm. And so they, re, they scrapped it and they brought in another person to come do that. But what, long story short, it pushed that timetable back about 12 months. Mm. Um, and because of that, the window that it would have been pitched in sort of shut in that time period. You know, I think the, the, the superhero trope had kind of became ubiquitous, whereas a year earlier it would have been more novel. Uh, and it was just time and place. And so, the, you know, but I still love the heart of that concept, which is that Absolutely. everybody has the power to become a superhero. Yeah. You know, you could be a super kind, you could be a super big brother. All of these things are within the realm of being a superhero. And so... Listen to if you want to get a sense of what that is. Listen to the song "Super Movers." Yeah, it's, the, it's yeah. available on streaming stuff, and it you you. I mean, it's the theme song to the to the would be show, and it gives you the concept right away. I just want to see Dave being squishy like that. That to me was the best, the best part of it. Man, we've gone so long. Thank you, Scott. Yeah, thank oh, you. Really, and thank you, Jay, because I always go long for Jay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm used to it, man. This is this is life. Yeah. So I want to be, I want to go on record uh, for this next one, that I do this against my will. Uh, I hope Tyler's watching, because if he's not, I'm, I'm going to kick his butt. Uh, but my friend and co-host of the podcast, Roughing the Pastor, Tyler, has informed me that he is going to request this song every week until I play it. 
and I believe him to make good on that threat. So, again, very much against my will. I don't, I don't want to do this. Um, but... It's over. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. That's part of what makes it great. <laughs>